three, two, one. Let's go! <laughs> I am the host of the PB Podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and I got to sit down today with DeWitt Smith. Who What's I'm... left of DeWitt Smith? <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of our longest podcasts, but man, you're a, you're a heck of a storyteller and, and just a lot of information, a lot of knowledge and wisdom uh, coming from DeWitt Smith today, and, and, and so that we'll, we'll get into that, but I wanted to uh, for sure uh, give a, a shout out to Trunkline, one of our major sponsors, a really exciting, revolutionary tool of marketing your product, marketing your services, and helping you to win bids, helping you to track your projects. Uh, it's a really cool software, really cool website. Trunkline, thank you for what you do and your support to the PBE podcast and the South Texas Geologic Society. South Texas Geologic Society, we're going to start doing events together. We're starting to do happy hours. We're going to bring a network together in South Texas that's you know here to help build, here to sustain the oil and energy demand that we have for many years to come. Where are we going to drill new wells? How are we going to develop South Texas from here? Uh, those are the people who show up to our events, and that's part of the South Texas Geologic Society, which there's a Christmas party coming up, December 15th, Christmas party right here in South Texas, right here in San Antonio, brought to you by the South Texas Geologic Society. Uh, contact Justin Sharp, justinwsharp at gmail.com. He can help you with if you want to sponsor that uh, Christmas party and certainly get you tickets and get you registered for it so you can meet the people who are you know, keeping the drilling alive, keeping the oil flowing. Uh, it's incredible what the this infrastructure that's almost 100 years old, or in some cases, like you brought up in this show, do it, over 100 years old of, of producing commercial energy, oil and gas, and, and then the men and women that continue to show up every day and for the rest of their career, they're going to help sustain that infrastructure, help continue that on, getting oil from the ground to the tanks, tanks to the refineries, refinery, back to the uh, the gas stations. But first, they've got to be connected, Troy, <laughs> right? That's right. And that's what you guys are doing. That's cool. Yeah. Right on. And so, uh, man, what dropped out from this show, I, I can't really pinpoint one specific thing besides, you know, you, your experience, you bring us from the 70s to today, and you're one of the last prospects that you're put together, and you have, you have the ability and you have the experience of what it takes to put the land, legal, engineering, geology all the way to the facilities, all the way to the refinery, all the way to electrical, to out to the, how are you going to get your electrical out there? You, you bring all that in to an area, and man, it's pretty exciting when you look into the details. And that's why I told you, it's going to be a lot of work for us, and it's going to be very exciting. And I told you, I said, Troy, I'm trying to retire, but this one won't let me go. Try to kill it, will yeah, you please? And right. you did everything you could to kill it. That's and we right. just kept finding more and more reasons for it to exist. There's an old saying that says you're either busy being born or you're busy dying. Damn and it. Uh, you gotta keep your dreams alive and, and uh this is uh this is exciting. This is why we're in the oil and gas business. This yeah. is what we do. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And it's true. Our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel to toe wellbore are 100% American made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. 
But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? For only $800 a month, you can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline, and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your Trunkline portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. Uh, my name is DeWitt Smith. My company name is Petro Rio. My telephone number is 214 214- Five three three one zero nine two. That's two one four five three three ten ninety two. And my uh, email address is Dewitt D E W I T T at Petro hyphen Rio R I O dot com. Dewitt at Petro Rio dot dot com. I started out as a land man. That's right. my discipline. But right. Uh, I'm an oil man. I'm, I'm beyond right. land man. Uh, it is my discipline, uh, but uh, but I, I I followed my bliss. I went beyond that into uh, prospecting. Is what I like to do, and I like to surround myself with smart geologists, scientists, engineers yeah. like you. Okay, I I'm not brilliant. I'm smart enough to surround myself with people that are. That's what that's the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, some would say that. Uh, well, who's the smartest one here? Then I guess you know, like how do how do you? Oh, you on? are. <laughs> <laughs> You're far uh, smarter than I am. It's it's interesting, interesting concept because I think it's really really smart to be able to identify. You know what that is. That's that's in, that's a different type of smart, uh, or maybe it's not. In, I don't know how to define. You know what is smart, but I think without people like you that can identify. That there's people out there with the talents that actually, you know, make good predictions and can help, uh, you know, deliver on a prospect. Uh, you know, we'd just be out there dreaming all day, you know, well, thinking you, about You got to kiss a lot of frogs, okay? You're the fourth geologist that has worked on this. And some of them were just, I just couldn't even believe it. You know, it's like, well, let's move the Diablo platform over here 20 miles. It's like... Why would you do that? You've got 40 or 50 years of challenge saying where it is, you know, and you come along. It's just, uh, it's insane. It's, <laughs> well, it is. Is it, There's, uh, you know, just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you're a good scientist, as, right. as I've found. Um, but I really didn't know what a good scientist was when I started out. You know, I kissed a lot of frogs back then, too, just to come up with scientists to drill, you know, the Fort Worth Basin, uh, the, the Permian Basin, and find out who was good and who wasn't. Yeah. And these were like, you know, vertical deals. A big vertical deal for me was to, uh, to go out in at least two sections, you know, and that was probably too much. I mean, a lot of it was protection acreage, you know. You were probably going to make a discovery and maybe drill if you were lucky, four or five uh, development wells, okay? And your odds back then when I started out was um, if you if you drilled a wildcat, uh, your odds were one in four, one in five. That got better 
with 3D seismic to where it was one in three. But still, how many people on the planet go into a deal? You have to be <laughs> extremely resilient to be an oil man yeah. because you're going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. And you're going to fail over and over and over again. And But it's kind of like what Edison said. I didn't fail. I just found 1,100 things that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and the other thing, of course, is, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. Right. So, anyway. Right on. Well, I, I would love to start with the conception part of the PB podcast now. As uh, DeWitt Smith, it, uh, it's exciting to sit down with you as, uh, you know, you're – you're an oil man. You're an oil man. And how did you get there? You know, tell us tell us a story of how you got there. Well, uh, it's a. Uh, I tell you what, I'd like to. Uh, can we start off at a different? Uh, that's a good question, and I'll get to that. What I'd like to start out with is is uh, what turns me on. What what, what I'm excited about now uh, in the industry, and uh, what I'd like to talk about uh, today. I'm going to talk about my history. But my history, everything I've done has led up to one thing, and that is natural fractures in shale. And 20 years ago, uh, I, w I was in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was working on a, a, a land grant, 600,000-acre land grant. And I came across a well uh, just to the southwest of this land grant, 90,000 acres of this grant is in Colorado. The other 500,000 is in New Mexico, so it straddles that. And I came across a well that had made 3 million barrels of oil vertically and was still producing. In fact, the last time I checked it was about 10 to 12 years ago. That well was still making 10,000 barrels a month. Okay? Yeah. And I went, Man, so I looked into it, and I'm just reading you something here. Three million barrels of oil from one vertical well, no shows. While okay? drilling. No shows while drilling. No, show, no shows while swabbing. No shows, period. Okay? Numerous examples corroborate the existence of tight fracture blocks and nearby high-capacity fracture systems. The Canadian Ojitos Unit E-10, this is in Rio Reba County, New Mexico, for example, was drilled vertically through the pay zones with air. The flow stream analysis showed no hydrocarbons above that of the high, uh, background overlying shales, and the well produced no oil or gas natural. After frac treatment, however, and let me interject this, the frac treatment was least crude with no propent. It produced at high rates and has accumulated 2.3 million barrels of oil. Now, that was written by uh, uh, Al Greer, who was uh, uh, one of the uh, owners of Benson, Mountain and Greer, the, the operating company. And since then, last time I looked, and it's been a long time, it had made 3 million barrels of oil. Okay? So this is written by him, I think, in the 80s. <sighs> okay. And he went on to write, and I put in italics here, clearly the character of the formation in the borehole was not representative of the reservoir. <laughs> okay? So here's the situation. If they'd gone out and drilled a well here, 
and this had been the first well. They'd called calf rope. They'd have walked away. There's nothing here. But they had already made the, the discovery. And it was now an interior location. Other wells have been drilled. They had, I think, a 78,000-acre uh, uh, block. 78,000 acres, interior location. And so they went ahead and put a frack on it because they knew they were in the middle of the, fra- of the field. Yeah. They knew it was naturally fractured. Okay. After fracking with least crude, they had, quote-unquote, unlimited fluid entry. They were casing swabbing two to 3,000 barrels of oil a day. Now, this field, last time I checked, it made 23 million barrels of oil. The whole field. Not, huh? The whole field. The whole field. Not one well had ever flowed oil. This was completely, all of it was gravity drainage. It's on a hogback between the Chama Embayment to the east and the San Juan Basin to the west. And it's on a monocline. And it's heavily fractured. They thought, they being the operators, mm-hmm. that the reason that it was heavily fractured because they thought it was draped over a nose. Once I got uh, hired my science team and we looked into it, we went, no. You don't see these kind of fractures from being draped over a nose. Hmm. This has got to be tectonic. Well, sure enough, it's at the intersection of the Nacimiento fault system, which runs north-south for miles, and the uh, uh, an extension of the Anadarko shear zone. Yeah, And it's a train wreck for the Niobrara interval that is brittle that's encased in the almost 2,000-foot thick uh, Mancos, okay? And so so it just broke it up. And yeah. I mean, now, the oil being low-pressured and no water to speak of just rolls downhill to where the fracture's in. And that's where the best wells are. And that's hmm. where the longest lasting wells are. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I had a, uh, I had a senior engineer from a, from a major oil company that will go unnamed for this, especially since we're recording it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they flew in and uh, he was sitting directly across the table from me when I was making a presentation later on the land grant which we'll talk about. And uh, he kept interrupting me, and I was like, you know, I, I'm going to get to it. This is a thorough presentation. You know, I've got a lot of slides here. But anyway, he just kept going and going, and I would stop and answer his questions. And I hadn't, he didn't really know this was a 23-million-barrel field. I was just, you know, giving some ideas here. And it was his first well, and I said, uh, he said, well, what was the bottom hole pressure? And I said, uh, it was about 1,600 pounds at 6,200 feet. And he said, that wouldn't produce a drop of oil. And I said, 23 million barrels of oil begs to differ with you. And he pushed back from the table and crossed his arms, and he didn't hear another word I had to say because I had offended his sensibilities. This man was in his 70s. This is what he'd known all his life. Right. And he knew that that kind of pressure was not going to produce oil. And he didn't want to hear any. And it's like, don't let me bother you with facts, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so this three million barrel well really caught my attention. It was drilled in the '60s and it's still producing. All right, I went. I've been in the business for a long time. I've never heard of a vertical three million barrel well in the United States. Yeah, and I'm not really familiar with stuff you know, you know overseas or whatnot, but I knew it was exceptional. And I also knew it was very exceptional because the reservoir was shale. Okay? I mean, we're not talking about something porous. We're not something talking about something very permeable. Right. Everything exists here in the planar voids. All of your porosity, all of your permeability, all of your storage is in the planar voids of these natural dilated fractures. Wow. And I'm man, like, that's man. Cool. I, you know, so I was like, I better bring on some smarter people than me to uh, to figure this out. And as fate would have it, I was at a at a party, and I was standing back to back with a gentleman behind me, uh, named uh, uh, Dr. Tommy Thompson, who was with Amico, uh, right as plate tectonics was was uh, coming into vogue okay. in the sixties. Yeah. I was talking to somebody else there. This was a kind of an oil and gas party. It was a cocktail party, but but uh, it was in Boulder. That's where Tommy lived. And uh, he heard me say gravity drainage, and he wheeled around to talk to me. And I had been talking Swahili to people forever. You know, nobody, like I thought, you know, oh, gravity drainage, natural factors, all this yeah. type of thing. And people were like, huh? Well, Tommy was like, he was all over it. Man, we went out in the backyard and we talked till two or three o'clock in the morning. We broke and came, and I came over to his house about eight o'clock in the morning and we talked all day about this stuff. And uh, uh, Tommy had seen it in the Woodford in Oklahoma years ago. And so he was a structural geologist. Okay? He was all about rocks, right. he, was, uh, he was all about mountains. He was a he was a mountain climber. Uh, he was a skier. He blew out his. Uh, he was uh, going to go to the Olympics back in the fifties. Wow! And blew out his. Uh, uh, had a yard sale of uh, skiing and uh, busted up his. Uh, broke his hip altogether. You know. Jeez. Which was kind of funny later when I'd fly with him and uh, go through. Uh, and now I've got to replace my hip, and uh, and go with him. To to the airport, I go. Let me go first, Tommy. Because <laughs> I know, you know, they were going to take him in the back with machine guns and everything. Make sure this guy wasn't carrying a bomb. <laughs> Haven't flown yet with my uh, uh, my artificial hip. The other uh, 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 well or field that I'd like to talk about that hardly anybody's ever heard of. In fact, I don't know anybody's ever heard of when I bring it up to them. Mm-hmm. They know about it after I bring it up. That's the Florence oil field. The Florence oil field is in the uh, 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 Canyon City embayment, uh, just southwest, kind of mostly west of uh, Canyon City, uh, Colorado, on the Front Range. Okay. Okay. I'll pull that up. Yeah. Now, there was some, <coughs> you know, uh, you know, when was it discovered? Well, there was a uh, the Indians had been used as an oil seat. Uh, along a river uh, uh, for years to make their canoes uh, impermeable uh, to water and that type of thing. And, uh, and, and they've been digging it out with the, 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 the frontier 
people have been uh, using picks, uh, and they were getting a gallon uh, and up to later a, a barrel or two a day uh, out of it and using it for pitch and whatnot. In 1881, after uh, the Drake well in Pennsylvania, they were drilling a water well. They were in shale. It's in Canyon City. It's just right Colorado. outside of Canyon City. Drilling a water well and discovered oil in fractured pier shale, and the pier shale was on the surface. So they were drilling, I think it was at 1,200 feet, and they, were, and they, they drilled into a natural fracture. That's 1881. That field is still producing. It's made 18 million barrels of oil so far in a syncline in shale. Okay? Oldest field west of the Mississippi. Nobody's ever heard of it. Wow. Not so long after that, maybe 20, 25 years, it was like anaclinal theory. We're going for carbonates and we're going for uh, sandstones in anaclines. People forgot about uh, uh, synclines. People forgot about shale. Shale was a nuisance. Called out to the rig. Go, what are you doing? Oh, we're dealing with shale. Okay, let me know when you get a break. That's the way it was. Nobody, nobody cared about shale. Mm. And yet, the oldest field west of Mississippi was shale. Yeah. Okay. And drilled absolutely. They did everything. This is not best practices. <laughs> These were wooden derricks, foot to foot. And they blew the gas uh, off. There was no pressure left. It was all gravity drainage. And there was some actually some significant gas here. Huh. But now they've come back in in the last 12, 13 years and drilled horizontally in there. And they run across virgin fractures. After all these wells, I think, what does it say? Uh, 1,300 wells have been built. Is that right? And it's only like six miles wide. Okay? 1,300 wells drilled, and they go in horizontally, uh, perpendicular to the to the dilated fractures, and find uh, uh, virgin pressure new oil. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Okay. Here's another thing amazing. One mile... Uh, let's see, the number 42 well, which was drilled in 1889, is the oldest continuous commercial producing well in the world. It has produced more than a million barrels of oil. No telling what it would have produced if they hadn't blown the, the, the gas cap off. Yeah. But nonetheless, huh. oldest in the world. Now, I hope I've got your audience's uh, attention. Because this certainly got mine. Yeah, you got mine. Okay. And it's like, <laughs> and everybody, I'm looking around and everybody's going, oh, oh, yeah. We're going to, we're going to horsepower our way into this right. tight, tight shell. Right. Okay. There's not enough horsepower on the planet to create the natural factors that exist if you know how to explore well, for those natural fractures. Yeah, man-made power versus, you know, earth tectonic power. <laughs> <laughs> the scale's okay. a little off there. Right. All right. So later today in our conversation, I'm going to talk about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, you know, okay, this got me going really excited, and I still am. I'm getting more and more excited about it. And then today... 
as we go through my history and and uh, uh, you know almost three quarters of a million uh, acres of of uh, land I've placed, we're going to talk about what we're doing now, and that's you and me are doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's the Eureka Prospect, mm-hmm. and it's in the Southern Delaware Basin, and. Our petrophysicists and reservoir engineers have identified a potential for 488 barrels vertically and 2,447 barrels of oil per day horizontally. And and at great depths and at uh, uh, incredibly competitive uh, uh, terms. So that's what I want to, that's the, that's, that's the preamble you know, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. And how did I get here? Yeah. Let's okay. hear it. Well, it, it, we got to go back to 1977. <laughs> and uh, some people have told me I should write a book, you know, going way back before I got in the oil business. What would be the name of the book? Oh, Lord, I had never thought about it, you know. Return of the Gringo, maybe, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I don't know. That's just off the, off the cuff. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it because I never have really seriously thought about yeah. uh, writing a book. But in preparing for this podcast today, I wrote a partial book mm-hmm. <laughs> because I really had to think, put my thinking cap on to go back to 1977. Why is it that year that pops out to you? Pre-oil and gas business. In the early 70s, I was, uh, 70s, I was a builder and I built 50 uh, uh, homes in uh, North Dallas, actually in Richardson, which is almost in the middle of Dallas now. And uh, I got hit with the 73-74 uh, the, uh, recession. I was going to be retired by the time I was 30. I had a game plan. Man. Man. And uh, when the recession hit, uh, we were, uh, it was horrible. Uh, uh, Texas had, had usury laws. And the max anybody could charge for interest was 10%. Well, interest rates ended up going to like 19%. And money, which was not supposed to go out of banks into other states, <laughs> was finding its way outside of the states. And, and people, the banks did not want to lend money at 9 and 7 eighths when they could go to Arkansas and get 13 or 14%. Hmm. So I found myself with six houses with interim financing that was eating my lunch, and I couldn't sell them. I'd go in with uh, uh, Texas Instruments was uh, three miles from where I was uh, uh, building. I'd have two professionals married making good money at TI, and the banks wouldn't qualify them because they did not want to lend. So I was just sitting there paying out monthly. Was that like a Texas thing, or what? What, what? Texas they use law at ten percent. Yeah, that was a Texas thing. And so, at the end of the time, I got my six houses sold. And instead of retiring at thirty, I ended up with a hundred and eighty dollar kickback from a real estate agent after I paid all of my subs and paid the bank back. And everything. That's all I have is $180 to my name. What, what caused the recession? Uh, the worst recession uh, uh, since the Depression. Uh, so uh, a bad one. 
uh, a worse recession in 40 years. What was it? It was just called the recession. Back then, it was just called the recession. <laughs> no, but I mean, there's got to be a reason for it, right? Oh, uh, what caused it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the Saudis caused it. That was the oil embargo. Well, deal. it wasn't just the oil embargo. We, uh, 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 Nixon took us off of the gold standard, too. That's when we started getting those clad, clad money that we still use. Copper in the middle and some sort of secret sauce on either side of it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but anyway, that uh, we're going through something similar to that uh, uh, right now as right. far as yeah, inflation goes. I'm trying to figure out and, and make comparisons to Well, we on. won't know until we can look back. Damn. Okay. You know, we, you, know you never know you're in a recession. Until you're out of it, usually. Uh, we're going into a recession. Uh, the, the, uh, I mean, the, I think you can argue that we're already in it. We could but, be. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, uh, when you see uh, uh, the inversion between short-term and, uh, short and long-term interest rates, which we had back at the, uh, at the beginning of the year, and now it's big time. I think I read that the eight times that that's happened since the early part of the last century it is predicted at every time every time not some of the time every time it's either going to be uh, it may be mild or it may be a, a bad recession or it may be a depression or the great recession but it is forecasted every time to be within three to 18 months uh, before uh, a recession hits so and that's happening now. It's, it's been, happening now. Yeah. And, and what was that ha- again? That was the the. In, in, okay, the, the difference. It's when uh, long-term treasuries have a a, a, a a lower yield than short-term. Hmm. Okay. The the main thing is like three month, but right now you can look at the two year as well, and the two year is uh, like four and a half, and the and the ten year is like three point eight, something like that. That's a huge gap between. Lots of times you're just talking about some a few tenths. This is this is a lot. We're going to have a recession. Uh, you know, people ask me, "Are you going to have a recession?" You know, well, what about a, a a soft landing? And I say, we don't even know where the airport is. I don't know how we're going to have a soft landing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm not a geologist, I'm not an engineer, and I'm certainly not an economist. <laughs> and I definitely don't want to be the latter. You know, I would like to be, uh, I wish I'd had a, uh, uh, a degree in, in uh, uh, geology. It was my favorite subject in, uh, in college, and uh, I wish I had pursued it. But I have pursued it, just uh, yeah. not in an official capacity. I don't have a sheepskin for it, and I can't even begin to uh, uh, to get in the weeds with uh, uh, with real graduated from college scientists, whether they're just you know uh, masters, PhDs, or anything. But one thing I have found out about myself: I may not be able to tell you that that's an ash tree and that's an elm tree and that's a pecan tree, but I can see the forest. And and I can I can connect dots, and I'm real good at 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 seeing things from fifty thousand feet. Mm-hmm. But when I get down into it, you know, somebody wants to talk about the vitronite reflectance and all that type of thing. I'm like, you know, 
can we go to the bar now? You know, <laughs> let's talk about something else because I just can't go there. Uh, and that's why I bring on people like you that uh, that do know how to go there. I'll bird dog something. I go, guys, this looks interesting to me. Yeah. And then I'll bring on uh, scientists. The uh, the deal, uh, the land grant thing. I had eleven guys working for me. You know, structural geologists, stratigraphers, geophysicists. You know, the whole nine yards. Uh, but Troy, I found with you, only need one guy. You know, and then a, uh, uh, and then at your recommendation. A, a petrophysicist and a uh, and an engineer, a reservoir engineer. Yeah, good guys, and it's uh, there's so many people in the world, and scientists are not immune to it. That they've learned something. Yeah, they've seen it. It's just like that engineer that pushed back that wouldn't produce a drop on twenty three million barrels. He should have pulled forward to me and go, I want to hear about this. Yeah. Instead, he pushed back. Yeah. And I've seen that so many times. And it's, uh, you know, it's, just, it's deal killers. The other thing is, is that a lot of people that, that uh, I've had my best luck as far as uh, bringing in people to look at things anew with, uh, with folks that are, uh, that are independent. I found oftentimes people with companies that are with companies may not want to take that risk. They got their job. Yep. The more deals that they turn That's down, uh, it's kind of hard to. Uh, it, if you stick your neck out and go, yeah, I recommend that deal, and then it's a dry hole, then it's like, mm. Yep. But if you go, nah, that's no good, that's no good. How many deals you've looked? Oh, man, I've looked at 20 of them, and none of them look good. You know, okay, well, keep looking. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, and I'll keep drawing my paycheck, too. Yeah, you know? no, that's right. That's uh, right. And it's it, there's nothing, I'm not knocking uh, uh, people that work for companies, you know, uh, at all. Sure. Uh, but uh, I do think that... Uh, we have to keep taking fresh looks. That's right. And that's not just the oil and gas industry. Any industry gets into a rut. Yeah. That's the way we've always done things. So, okay. So, uh, you know, we started out like, well, this is what I've talked about, about me wandering around. Yes, we'll have that. Okay, well, I started out in the, the uh, uh, building business. Right. In fact, uh, that was the, the uh, major that I studied. At uh, at Trinity, almost retired. Never drilled a well in your life, but it didn't happen. <laughs> you didn't get to retire. You had to keep going. Uh, what? No, on the Eureka. Yeah, well, just coming out of being a builder, you're like, you know, I was going to retire at thirty. You'd been on the beach oh, for the rest no, of your life. No, I never drilled a well. Never <laughs> even considered about going into the oil and gas. Business. Right. As a matter of fact, I I, I put my tail between my uh, 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 between my legs and went, screw this. I'm going to South America, which is what I did. I, I I got on a plane and flew to Bolivia. What the <laughs> hell? Well, I mean, you know, talk about being uh, uh, dissatisfied, and I mean, you know, it was like, okay, you uh, you get a loan, yeah, you build a house that works out. You go back to the bank and you build two houses that works out. 
You go, I'd like to borrow money for four. Okay, you got a good track record. And I worked it up to where I was building a bunch of houses, yeah. you know? And I put all of my money back in the building. All right? I was living on $350. Here I was a big uh, builder, and I'm living on $350 a month in the 70s, because I was early 70s, because I was putting all my money back into the business. And it's like, you know, you work hard. Yeah. You save your money, you put your money back into the business, you win, right? Except for the Saudis, except for Nixon, except for things that you had that nobody could have foreseen. Jeez. Okay? Hmm. So I was a young man. I mean, I was 26 years old. It hit me hard. I was very much, uh, after, you know, I was working seven days a week. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I, I left the country. Jeez. Yeah. Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We had a guy. I mean, I really left the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you took off. That's an interesting oh, man, country. I was uh, uh, living about 50 clicks um, east of a town in Bolivia by the name of, uh, uh, well, the, the town was Cochabamba. I was living in a town called actually pronounced Biaz Ribeiro, but in Spanish we would call it Via Rivero. Uh, but this was like Castilian Spanish. This was a, a, I ended up in a little village that was a, like a time warp. And I went in there and I said, oh, I'm going to import alpaca sweaters, you know. I mean, I was grasping. I didn't have any money. I was like, what am I going to do? You know, it's like, uh, okay, these sweaters, they're beautiful. You know, I'll do that. <laughs> so I was buying them in the villages in Cochabamba, and I thought, I'm going to cut out the middleman. I want to find out where they're getting them made. So I did. And uh, I went to Piazzaretto, uh, and uh, I'm making deals for uh, uh, sweaters to be made. And uh, with arms that long and necks that you couldn't get your head through, I was like, this is just really not working. And I walked by this... Uh, I walk by this open door because it's all there's dirt floors, Jeez. no electricity, no running water, nothing. All the doors are open, and I walk by this one door. I look in; it's kind of dark, and they're doing these tapestries. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." So I walked in there and I looked at them, and well, come to find out, this was a a lost art in Europe. This was a tapestry weave that had been brought over by the monks, by the Spaniards, and completely lost art in, uh, in Spain and in Europe, and that they were making them right here. So it was like this time warp. So I was like, screw these sweaters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to import, uh, export wow. from there, uh, uh, these tapestries. Wow. Okay. Well, they caught on. Uh, Mick Taylor of the Rolling Stones, Joni Mitchell, uh, a lot of the music people uh, uh, decided that they wanted me. A lot of those people are are artists, uh, uh, painters, and, and sculptors. That said, not just uh, musically oriented. Yeah. And uh, so they would send me down their designs. Okay. And I would take it, put a grid on it, and grid it up to like four by six or six by four feet, you know. And uh, 
then I would uh, uh, dye the uh, the wool to the different colors and whatnot. If I could, I would use the grays and the whites and the browns and the and the coffee colors and beige and all that type of thing. Uh, then use the natural colors of the alpaca. And uh, are you sure you want to talk about this? this <laughs> I mean, this is. I'm kind of in Bolivia right now. Okay. With no running water and no electricity. I'm like standing next to you, looking at it like what you're talking about. It's blowing my mind. Oh, it blew my mind. I lived with the uh, uh, with the family, Indian family, uh, for six months. How'd you communicate with them? Did you know well, Spanish? I, I had. I, I'm really not very good at language, uh, and uh, for the proof of that, I took Spanish fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seventh, eighth, and ninth, <laughs> tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, and two years in college, and I still wasn't very good at it. Wow! And not only that, but these people spoke well, Castilian Spanish, which is the equivalent in English of uh, of of Shakespeare, uh, not Shakespearean, uh, yeah, Shakespearean English. Wow. Uh, Jeez. Biblical type stuff, these yeah. and thous and all that type of thing. Wow. So, uh, and so, like I said, V I L L A instead of being Villa was Bia, uh, Bia, and Rivero, R I V E R O, was Zribero. Wow. Okay. So, you know, first of all, my Spanish wasn't that great. Then I'm hit with Castilian Spanish, and then a lot of the words were mixed in with the, uh, the Indian language uh, that was there, which are 23 different dialects of, uh, uh, of it. And uh, but I, you know, I got along, and uh, I was down there for two years. I, wow. I was down there for a whole year without ever coming back. Wow. And. Uh, I was, although it was a unique experience and wonderful and all that type, and I ended up moving into my own house. And my own house was 250-year-old adobe that cost me $12.50 a month to lease. Okay? I was living down there on $125 a month. And that included some extravagances of, like, going into town and getting a shower and... Uh, and getting an eight dollar uh, a night hotel room when my whole rent was uh, twelve fifty. Anyway, it was uh, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. But wow. I got back. And I was pretty much thinking about I was going to go back. Yeah. And a guy I knew was a landman. Uh, in college, I had taken uh, uh, numerous uh, uh, business law. Uh, courses and then uh, when I I became a builder uh, I got first a real estate salesman's license and then a real estate broker's license so I was very familiar with with business law and extremely familiar with real estate law so uh, you know know, it was the holidays and I said what are you up to? "Ah, In January I want to go back over to uh, Louisiana. I said what are you doing there? I said well I'm a landman, and uh, I'm buying uh, oil and gas leases over there. And uh, I said, well, you know, I'm not doing anything. Do you mind if I tag along? He said, no, sure, come on. Right on. So I went out there, and uh, I was out there for a couple of weeks and and got the hang of, of, uh, uh, you know, running title. 
And then some guys got into the middle of our, our block and started buying. And uh, he called the company, an uh, outfit called Midrock and, uh, in Dallas, and uh, said, hey, I've got some, some, some uh, black hats in here uh, buying leases. He says, uh, can you send somebody else out there? And, he, and the guy said, uh, well, don't you have, isn't there a guy out there that's with you? And, and uh, he said, yeah. And he says, well, has he picked up on this stuff? He said, yeah, he really has. He said, put him to work. And and uh, he said, "Well, you want you want a job?" And I went, well, "I'm not doing anything. I'm not getting paid at all now." To be out here. And uh, he said, "How about 150 dollars a day?" I've been living on 100 and a quarter a month. Yeah. I went, man. How long has this been going? All you know, <laughs> really, all expenses paid, and I got uh, 50 cents a mile. And I thought, man. So I went to work, and uh, except the difference was, it was Louisiana. So it was Napoleonic law, and Napoleonic law is significantly different wow. than uh, uh, than uh, uh, Magna Carta type stuff, you know. And uh, but I got that, and that was in uh, Washita Parish, Monroe, Louisiana. And I'm going to talk about that uh, when we get into the uh, you know when I broke out. And uh, in fact. Basically, that's where we are right now. And uh, uh, then I went to Mississippi, and then I went to Alabama, and then I went to Colorado and Wyoming and Montana and North Dakota and Nebraska. and uh, Putting leases together. Yeah, and running crews. And, uh, and then I went in-house for a while, uh, which we're going to talk about. And uh, then I went and started uh, uh, drilling wells. I raised money to... to uh, uh, with some investors and went out and drilled uh, my first well in the Fort Worth Basin. Son of a gun. And here I is. <laughs> you know? Well, you knew how to put the land and legal together, so you yeah. knew what that took. And then and then working for the uh, for the oil company uh, as a, a, a land manager, uh, I learned as a fully integrated oil company, which we're going to talk about. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I learned... Everything I could. I'm a sponge when it comes to that type of thing. And I thought, well, you know, uh, I can do this. Uh, and I could, and, you know, and I hired, ended up hiring a, a, an engineer. Uh, had a scientist. He came up with an area, you know, place to drill in Fort Worth Basin. Said, you know, X marks the spot, drill here. And then I, uh, I hired a, a, an engineer, an ex-Halliburton guy. And we drilled a well. Wow. And I'll talk about that. It was a fabulous well for the Fort Worth Basin at that depth. And uh, that was the beginning. Wow. But, uh, you know, and then fast forward to about 20 years ago, you know, I was just drilling conventional wildcats, you know, move here, move there, you know put 640 acres some of them i drilled on 320 acres you know the biggest uh conventional i ever drilled only put together 1280 acres okay so then when i saw this three million barrels of oil and seventy-eight thousand acre block <laughs> i went okay you know this is graduate school i'm interested in this man i go on to this so uh i've never liked to have a um, 
a ceiling on me ever. Mm. You know, I've always wanted to be, you know, what I could do, what mm. I was capable of, not that there was anything that was that was keeping me down, you know. And uh, man, there there isn't anything keeping you down in this business. It's 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 up to how hard you want to work and what your imagination is wow. and what you can do. So, uh, hey, wow, you're doing it, man. <laughs> okay, and I'm real proud of you. What you're up that. to. And this is a cool deal. Yeah, so you start learning the legals, you start learning the land, you start putting this all together, you start realizing that, man, there's there's no ceiling in this now. Now that you know how to put acreage position together, you're looking at this massive position that did three million barrels. You know, it's kind of getting us into the Malagro story. So I think we're transitioning into the drill down segment of the PBE podcast with DeWitt Smith. I want to know, you know, when when you identified that and then you have the story of the land grant, you know, what is a land grant? Okay, well, uh, there's two different types of land grants. Uh, and the history goes back of, of, of Spanish land grants uh, back to the 12 and 1300s, you know, uh, individuals. Uh, or groups of individuals that had earned, uh, you know, acceptance or, or notice uh, from royalty uh, were provided with, uh, uh, with chunks of land. Uh, kind of like in Texas okay. with, uh, with Stephen F. Austin, uh, uh, with his grants and the colonies and that type of thing uh, here. And there are also... Uh, Mexican land grants uh, here in the state of Texas. A little bit of a different animal. But we had Spanish land grants uh, primarily in New Spain, which would be more like what you would think of as uh, Mexico and, uh, and south of there. And then, the, then you had uh, uh, New Mexico uh, and that was uh, uh, primarily Mexican land grants because uh, uh, the Mexicans uh, uh, ended up defeating Spain and becoming Mexico. But they continued with the same type of grants. Okay. Well, the grants really were, as they moved north and into hostile territory, not only hostile territory from Native Americans, but also hostile uh, territory uh, uh, from the French, uh, from the Americans, uh, which uh, everybody was encroaching on uh, Spanish territory. Hmm. Uh, and the Indians were particularly scary. Uh, uh, you know, it was their land there, and it always had been, and they were very... Uh, uh, You went into their into their territory. Uh, you know, you could count on getting arrows in your back or something. Jeez. So once they got up into the area of Santa Fe, mm -hmm. which is the oldest extant capital in the entire United, uh, what's now the United States, they went. Okay, we are going to give land grants to individuals and groups of individuals, mainly groups to form buffer zones 
between us and the hostiles. Mm. We've got a nice little town here in Santa Fe, and we'd like to keep it that way, and we'd like to keep these people up uh, uh, north of us. So if you're willing uh, to bring a group of people together and, uh, and settle an area yeah. and willing to, to, uh, uh, to fight off the hostiles and whatnot, right. if you did that for 20 years... Then you could get a land grant. Wow. Now, the land grant and, and millions of acres uh, were wow. given out in land grants in Texas, Colorado, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, wow. California, wow. et cetera. What, what years did all that, you know, millions of acres go Well, out I, you know, I can't talk to you about all of them, but uh, 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 mainly... Uh, let's see, the Tierra Amarillo land grant, which is what we're going to talk about yeah. today, was uh, was granted in, I believe, 1835. Okay? <laughs> well, but that's not long uh, before uh, we came in and defeated uh, the Mexicans and drove them back south of the Rio Grande and, and to uh, uh, the borders of uh, present-day uh, uh, Arizona and, yeah. and New Mexico and, and Colorado. I mean, excuse me, California. And so, uh, because the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was in 1848, mm. so land grant only existed as a Mexican land grant for what? Ten years, uh, 13 years. 13 years. Okay. Well, even Alexander the Great knew that you defeated peoples, but you didn't take their land. You take their land, you're not going to have much luck governing them, okay? So don't take their land, okay? So in the treaty, we were supposed to, we, the United States of America, were supposed to view the new lands through the lens of Mexican law, okay? Wow. So the land grants were supposed to be seen uh, uh, in uh, through that lens. Yeah. So then they appointed a territorial attorney general by the name of Thomas B. Catron. And Catron and what is uh, uh, described as the Santa Fe Ring, uh, which were a bunch of gringos that really looked on the situation as, gee, here's all the Hispanics that don't speak any English and don't know our customs or anything. They're ripe for the picking, you know. And uh, Mr. Catron uh, ended up being the largest single landowner in the entire United States of America. He owned two million acres that he had gotten from the land grant people by hook or crook. And uh, somebody once said, you know, Small crooks go to jail. Big crooks get counties and streets named after them. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Catron County in New Mexico, <laughs> and there's streets, and there's law firms and everything else. Holy now, cow. You know, I, I can't, uh, I wasn't there. I don't know yeah. exactly what happened. I've read a lot of books on it, yeah. a lot of books, done a lot of research. <clears throat> and uh, Mr. Catron was going through. Uh, crossing a river. I think it was the Chama River. Don't know exactly where it was, but I think it was the Chama River. In a buckboard 
through high water. And gee, all those deeds that were pre-treaty uh, 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 just washed away down the river. And those were all the claims that the heirs had to their land grant. Disappeared. Not all of them, but most of them. Wow. Some 178 different documents. Wow. Okay. And uh, he ended up going and getting uh, uh, deeds from just a few people. And there were two different types of, 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 of uh, land grant. There was private land grants to the individual and community land grants. And community land grants really argued against American law uh, in that uh, it was really a commune. Uh, you owned maybe uh, several hectares, okay, and you had your little garden there in your house and all that type of thing. But then you used the other 600,000 acres in this case uh, to cut timber, to run your cattle on, and all wow. that type. And everybody used the same, same land. Wow. Well, that's foreign to us. That's communism, you know. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, anyway, what, what Catherine ended up doing was getting uh, deeds from uh, an individual uh, and a couple of his, two or three of his uh, heirs. Well, there was 150 other people that had been granted uh, wow. in the community yeah. that, were, that were out. Yeah. And therein lies the rub. And so you had the, the Catron title chain, and then you had the claimants title chain. And they came and fought it six different times in the court of law. But we're talking frontier type stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, the gringo title was always, always won, even if it doesn't make, I mean, I've, I thoroughly, I spent a couple of years in the courthouse uh, uh, at uh, museums, libraries, et cetera, uh, researching all this. And there's no question in my mind at all to where these people were screwed out of their land. And with Hispanics particularly, you take their land away, land is everything to them. These people are close to the land. Uh, they're, uh, you take their land away and they are disenfranchised. They, they no longer have identity. Okay, So you could say they were pissed off. Mm -hmm. Okay, to the point in 1967, a guy named Reyes Tejarina, uh, who was actually from Texas and a minister, came over to the land grant area and, you know, started talking to people. And he was like, what do you mean this happened? What do you mean that happened? Mm -hmm. and he started looking into it. He was like, are you kidding me? I said, they just stole your land. What are you doing about it? Well, we've been to court and stuff. Court's ass, you know. Oh, this shit. is hard. We're, we're going to take this back. This wow. is our land. Oh, shit. And he whipped 20 men into, uh, uh, into a frenzy, armed men. And they went to the town of Tierra Maria that sits in the, 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 the land grant, the confines of land grant, which is the courthouse uh, uh, for uh, Rio Reba County. And this is 1967, 
and they took over the courthouse at gunpoint, shot the place up, uh, wounded three people, and a deputy sheriff later died of his wounds. Damn. Okay? Whoa. Serious cloud on title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Banditos. Okay. Damn. Yeah. So, um, man. So ensued the largest um, manhunt in United States history. They sent in 400 National Guard, state and local police, and tanks to reestablish uh, order. Uh, it was written up in Time magazine. They called this area, which back then pretty much was not this bad. It was, it was. Uh, I guess if you're in New York, right for Time magazine, it, it seemed as remote as Tibet, which is the word they used. But it was out back. It was dirt roads and stuff for a long way. It was a hundred miles north of Santa Fe, and seventy miles north of uh, Española, and uh, it was out in the boondocks, and. Um, this is all over the land grant that you end up. Yeah. So. Working. Uh, how did I end up on a land grant? Where, where, where did this land grant deal? Yeah. Well, uh, one of the tickets I had was uh, with Amico, coal bed methane gas in the San Juan Basin. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they hired me. I uh, had moved back up to. Uh, uh, to, to Colorado and I owned a house uh, outside of Denver uh, they put me into a uh, a townhouse in Durango and a suite at the Hilton in Santa Fe okay. and I burned up the road uh, between those three points and other and points beyond for a long time well we started up north and we, we came uh, uh, further down south and east and uh, got into Rio Reba County, and which is on the east side of the San Juan Basin. And they knew that I knew some Spanish. Uh, and I, I read it uh, better than I do speak it and whatnot. And I said, uh, I'd like for you to go into to, uh, Rio Reba, the courthouse there, and run records. You know some of the, you know some Spanish, and a lot of the old records are in Spanish. So I said, Yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I was talking to him for a while and everything, and he was like, okay, here's a, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a, a map of uh, acres that we're uh, interested in. It's pretty big. And I said, okay, fine. And we talked a little while. I hadn't seen him in a while. He was up in Denver. And and uh, before we hung up, he says, oh, yeah, don't be there after dark. <laughs> and now. He knew the history. Yes. To some extent. And, but, you know, this is not long after I traveled all over South America by myself. Yeah. Some of the hell holes of the, of the yeah. planet, you know, particularly the the, uh, uh, the border cities and the, uh, the uh, coastal cities and whatnot. It's, uh, uh, so I, I wasn't too scared about going someplace in the United States of America, you know. And I was like, okay, you know, went in there. And uh, everybody spoke Spanish, you know, and they would speak Spanish to me. They wouldn't speak English. I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. You know, the county clerk and everybody. And 
I found out, I did a little research, and I'm like, what, what, what is this all about? And I heard some talk about this, that, and the other. So I started doing research on the land grant. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm right in the middle of it, you know, looking around, you know, these guys are <laughs> armed and dangerous, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I picked up a bunch of, a, a ton of acreage, and, and uh, but I'm a curious sort, and every place I ever went as a, as a landman, just when I was doing land work, I would do some science, you know, do some research. Well, I found out that, that there were oil seeps that had been discovered uh, back in the 19, uh, uh, well, the the first part of the, of the last century. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of the guy's name, but the uh, geologic library at Fort Lewis College is named after him. He was the, uh, the the geologist. And the only way I found out about it was, was when I was going back through the archives, finding a newspaper article from like 1903 or something, where he's talking about, yeah, I found some oil seeps there uh, east of the town of, uh, of oh, Chama. Shit. And he described them. I later met with a guy, uh, right where that is, is a uh, is Chama Land and Cattle Company, uh, which is a kind of a dude ranch. Uh, it was owned uh, uh, by some, of, some wealthy people out of, uh, uh, out of Dallas at one point in time. Uh, and then it's owned by the Hickory uh, Indians now, but uh, who had been a uh, uh, the cook there on the hmm. dude ranch, and he had ridden on horseback all over that, and he had married an old girlfriend of mine, and they came to visit, and I was they said, "What have wow. you been up to?" And I talked to him about it. He went, "He's going what?" Yeah, he says, "I've ridden all over that area." <laughs> And I said, well, they won't let me on there. As soon as I mentioned oil seep, it was like the phone hung up, you know. <laughs> they didn't want anybody on there, yeah. you know, looking for oil seeps. Of course, anybody, they're huge. They're, uh, all right, well, this, I don't know how big this room is. I was in one guy's room that had I'd seen him when he was fishing there, an oil man. Uh, and it was, he had a large conference room, and he said it was four times the size of this conference room. Okay, the right seep. on right on the banks of the Chama River. Wow. And he says, I've seen it. I've been there. And I said, well, describe it to me. And he says, it's real thick oil. It has reeds growing up out of it. And every once in a while, it'll bloop, you know, just kind wow. of a, a, a slow motion, uh, you know, pretty heavy oil. It's, yeah. uh, and I said, really? I said, could you guide me there? And he said, yeah, but I mean, it's the Hickory and Indians now. It's not the same people who had it when I had it, and uh, they're kind of hostile. So I never did get in there. I, I tried. I even tried to go in there and be a guest, and you know, uh, see if I couldn't, uh, you know, find it. Anyway, they're real. Uh, they have been described by a geologist. I later realized uh, that a guy named Vaughn, I think his name is Grady Vaughn, uh, out of Dallas, an oil man had owned that land and had because of the oil seeps he had found out about them and he had drilled uh like i don't know five or six wells like you know how hard can this be i got oil seeps here yeah except the manco shale sits on top of the dakota okay well who cares about the shale you know the dakota sandstone sits right below it very poor sandstone. That's where to go. So he was drilling all in the Dakota. Unbeknownst to him, the 
the oil was coming up through faults along the river. As a matter of fact, the river, as they do, was following the faults. Right. Okay? And uh, so he never drilled into the mangroves. Uh, so he drilled dry holes in the Dakota. There's another, and this, this is fascinating, and I figured this one out, and uh, everything has been written about it. Uh, uh, nobody was, it was great holy mystery, you know, how this happened. You know, it's the Price Gramps oil field, which was discovered in the 30s. Okay. It covers 128 acres. Eight million barrels of oil have been taken out of it. What the? Taken out of the Dakota. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, they could only engineer a maximum of two million barrels of oil out of the Dakota. So where's this other six million barrels coming from, you know? <laughs> so they drilled all the way around it, ruining their economics. Dry holes all around it, looking for the river of oil that was replenishing the, uh, the Dakota. Mm. Okay? So I'm like, I'm very intrigued by it. And at 800 feet, too. Damn it. And the Mancos is at the surface. Yeah. Okay? Money. And it's this huge fault. On four sides, it comes up, thrusts it up, and and, uh, and so it's just the Mancos there. And you drill through the Mancos into the Dakota, maximum of 1,200 feet because it's at a tilt, all right? And they drill down into the, to the uh, uh, you know, anticline, right? So we'll drill here, drill into Dakota, make good wells, all right? And they drill outside of this very definite perimeter and nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck? Well, I looked and looked and looked. I read everything I could find on it. And I found a well that had encountered oil in a fracture in the Mancos, okay, on the perimeter. When they drilled deeper into the Dakota, Mm -hmm. it was wet. By the way, the Dakota is freshwater wet. Wow. Okay? Well, you know, I'm already looking at natural fractures and stuff, and I'm going... I get it. I get it. I know exactly what's happened here. This 800 feet of fractured Mancos is all broken up to beat the band. Is a water tower <laughs> that's feeding oil as you to pull volume out of the Dakota. Oil is falling out of this water tower into the, the Dakota and replenishing the oil. Yeah. It was at equilibrium, but as they started pulling out, oil starts coming down. And I went, okay. In fact, there's oil produced uh, just west of there from 250 feet. And so everybody's like, well, it can't be fractured, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's fractured beat the band. You can see the fractures on the surface. Well, then why did it leak off? Because it heals itself. Because the Mancos is super ductile and heals itself. But the interval that is productive is what is the Niobrara equivalent, and it's brittle siltstone. Hmm. Okay, and so you have this super shallow uh, fractured reservoir that everybody says can't produce because it would be breached. Okay, and yet it does. Okay, so <laughs> so it's, you know, I'm like I'm unwinding all this stuff, and yeah. my brain going, "This is great," you know. But I need to bring some other people on here that are smarter than me because I'm way beyond me. Well, everybody said, well, where you are, it can't, it's, it hasn't, it doesn't have a burial history. 
uh, you know, it's not mature. You know, and and I would show it the, the deal to people, and they go before I brought geologists on, and they go, "How about vitronite reflectance?" And I said, "How about you get a Dixie cup and go over there and pull some oil out of that oil seat?" <laughs> What do you mean vitronite reflected? I said, most of the oil found in the world has been found on oil seeps. We got them coming out of the grass, yeah. volunteering to the surface. I don't yeah. need vitronite reflected. <laughs> I, don't know. You know, I just don't understand some of this stuff. You, yeah, know? Yeah. you have to look past some things, I yeah, believe. You know? That's right. And then uh, Price Gramsfield discovered in the 30s. And uh, they took a trough. And uh, and sent the oil on the trough down to Chama, where they had uh, a, a train wow. that would uh, uh, transport it. And it was like uh, 19 gravity. It wasn't complete. It was partially degraded. There was hmm. no gas. And it was partially degraded because it, was, it, it produced 21 million barrels of fresh water Along with that, eight million barrels uh, of oil. Okay, and uh, I mean, and it was uh, meteoric water. Okay, hmm. uh, so it's like everybody go, well, that can't, it, you can't produce uh, uh, oil with fresh water. It's like eight million barrels begs to differ with you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy oil, but but it's uh, it's uh, commercial associated with fresh water. Well, well, okay, Alan, Eureka. That uh, that shallow wall we've talked about just to the north of it, which oh, we're going to yeah. have here on our on uh, on our lease. Nice. That's the Rustler Formation, and the Rustler is named after a spring <laughs> way over by Fort Davis, which is where the Rustlers water. watered their horses and stuff. It's fresh water. It's an aquifer, and it produced fresh water with the oil too. That that. Uh, uh, 1.8 million barrels of oil. Yeah, yeah. Produced with fresh water. The land grant is the Tierra Amarilla land grant. Yellow okay. dirt or yellow soil, or whatever you call it, land grant. Okay, and that existed, pre-existed. Okay. Milagro, the name I got from Milagro, and you'll enjoy it. Uh, there's a, a book by uh, John Nichols called the Milagro Beanfield War, and there was a uh, a movie, Robert Redford movie, called the Milagro Beanfield War, that was based on the book. Hmm. Okay, well, they loosely base it on the 1967 courthouse raid. Okay, oh. so I named my prospect Milagro. I got gotcha. you. Okay, which means miracle in Spanish. Right. Yeah, your wife's Spanish, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Latin America, uh, traveling, doing business, and a whole lot of time uh, trying to get these people's land back. You know, but they didn't have any money to fight lawsuits and stuff. It's like I can make you some money, and did. And I helped them form a land grant association, which is legal, even for claimants. You didn't even have to own any land, mm. which they didn't as the association. But if you're heirs and claim it, then you can form an associate. Well, they've never done it. Certainly very, very interesting. Um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people that studied, uh, you know, all this history and in, in the detail you did, your boots on the ground. And, 
in the 70s or 80s. When was all this going on in the Malagro? Uh, well, when you were putting uh, that Malagro actually was, uh, I took it on in 2003. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is. After I found that 3 million barrel field. This I mean, is, 3 million barrel well, it's like, yeah. man, I, I need to look into this. Okay. And, so. uh, and I knew, and I, I, since I'd been there with Amico back in the, uh, in, the, in the early 80s, and I had decided someday I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Because they didn't want to buy any acreage in in the land grant. Yeah. They were scared to death of it. Right. Everybody was scared to death of it. Right. It's like we take enough risk of not being shot at when we raise our mast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I decided, to, uh, and when, when I found that, that, that oil seep, I went, I knew it. So what they said was, Troy, what everybody said, it hadn't been buried. There's no uh, burial history. It hadn't been buried deep mm-hmm. enough. And I'm like, well. Where's this oil coming from? Oh, it migrated. I went, oh, from the, over the mountains, you know? <laughs> no, I don't think it did. You know, well, that's what everybody kept coming up with these dumbass ideas. That, you know, just like that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, I don't know what I can't do. I don't know what the proper way of things are doing. So I just light out on my own to do something that makes sense to me. Well, I found that there was an old coal mine hmm. down by the town of Tierra Maria. It was abandoned. It was a walk-in coal mine. The Menifee coals were were exposed at the surface. Okay. Well, the Menifee sits right on top of the Mancos. Hmm. They had come in after the after it had been. Uh, uh, abandoned uh, and had gotten a coal, sa- coal samples from the tip off the tipple of the mine and analyzed it and it was bituminous coal mm. some of it was bituminous coal okay thermally mature you know if that's thermally mature then 1500 feet down into the bank of shell below it is thermally mature. It, it has been heated and pressured enough to produce oil and gas. Okay? So then there was another, uh, uh, and the same thing with the people that had discovered this 3 million barrel field. Because just east of it, excuse me, 23 million barrel field, uh, just east of it was uh, East Puerto Chiquito oil field. Mm-hmm. And it was at 3,500 feet. And they went, oh, it's not thermally mature. This oil had, and these are the, the guys that found it, the operator. Yeah. They said, it must be coming from somewhere else, you know. Well, I found another coal mine there, and I got, I found, and the USGS had done a, a survey of it and found it to be thermally mature. And I went, this is thermally mature too. Yep. Well, then I brought it back to all the scientists that had told me I was full of shit and you know, what I was just chasing uh, rainbows or something. I was like, how about these, uh, these coal mines? Well, we don't ever look at coal mines. I said, you ought to take a look at these. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got uh, uh, going on this. That's how I built up proof to when people refuted the idea yep. that this would never been buried deep enough and was not thermally mature. It's like, yeah, it is. So what happened with this prospect? How do you how do you take the land grant from what it was to 
you know, proving, okay. you know, to now this comes back to land work. Okay. Not geology because nobody was going to go in there. Okay. I wasn't going to be able to attract anybody in there. And, uh, so I helped form, I did the whole thing, organized the elections, the, the whole nine yards, put up notices, went right down the book uh, with uh, the state of uh, New Mexico, land-grant organizations and whatnot, organized, uh, helped organize uh, uh, these people. And, um, and then I said, okay, you want to make some money? I said, you know, this is, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these people, the operators, I'm going to do the science. I'm going to get them interested. Then they're going to go, I don't know about this, you know, this, this title. And what you're going to do is you're going to give me a waiver. Everybody that comes in here and buys a lease from the gringo title is going to have to buy a waiver from you that says that, you know, mm. basically you won't shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> what so I got hell? a waiver and identification from a, a, a sanctioned uh, a body under the laws Jeez. of the state of New Mexico. Jeez. And that's what I, and that's how, I mean, I, that's the only way I could do it. And, and then the people I, started coming in and drilling? No. Mm. I sold uh, 90,000 acres to, uh, to an outfit, uh, Approach Resources. Did you ever run across them no, in Fort Worth? All right. Anyway, yeah. they're uh, bankrupt now. But uh, they were doing real well for a while, but they got out, out over their skis. And uh, then they blamed their financial people. They went, we're not taking the blame. We're shutting you down. And uh, you don't ever blame your financial people, right. ever. Yeah. They don't like that. <laughs> That's not going to go. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, they came in there, and they permitted uh, eight wells. And then I had another company that came in. I was like, okay, I got another half million acres. And I had showed it to a lot of people, and uh, I hadn't had any luck uh, selling it. And an outfit out of Canada, Wind River, uh, uh, called me to try to sell me a deal. And I turned around and sold them my deal. Okay. Well, the, the eight, it, it went, it, it unwound real quick. Okay? They went to the, they went to the courthouse, excuse me. They went to the, to the, to the oil and gas commission mm-hmm. in New Mexico and they got eight permits to drill. Okay. And this was their mistake. They treated the lowest stand of aspen trees, which are in in the Rockies, there's probably no more valuable asset than aspen trees. They're just beautiful. Okay? Mm -hmm. People love them. I love them. They treated them like so many mesquites in West Texas. Oh, and they man. came in and bulldozed oh, man. the area that, that generations of families had been uh, picnicking in. Okay? Now, they told the lady who lived in Albuquerque that they were going to stake a location. And she said, okay. She didn't come out there to see what they were going to do or anything. Right. But nonetheless, they came in there and they bulldozed five acres of, of, uh, uh, of aspen trees. And you talk about torches and pitchforks. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. And people, it was three miles from the courthouse. 
Okay, they could have walked there, but uh, and raised hell. And the county. Okay, here's here's New Mexico. Thirty percent, more or less, of their revenue comes from uh, oil and gas. Wow. Okay. They got so much money coming in from oil and gas right now that they are offering free college to anybody at the at the state's uh, colleges to anybody in New Mexico, anybody and everybody in New Mexico. That's Ooh. how much of a surplus they're running from oil and gas. You can go to call. You can go to a state college. If you're a citizen in the mountain, a guy that just moved there with his uh, kids, so they go to free uh, college. Wow. Now, how do they handle that asset? Okay. You would think, this would be way buttoned down. Look how much money's coming in. Okay? Yeah. So you go to the, to the, to the, to the state for your permits. Mm-hmm. But drilling rules and regulations, county by county, a patch quilt put together by people that are county commissioners that know Zippo. About the oil and gas industry. Wow. I mean, they know nothing. Each county has different rules about and, trip. Yes. Wow. And what happened was, okay, you already had the western part of, uh, <laughs> now this is so crazy. You got the western part of Rio Reba County, which is in the old San Juan Basin. Okay. You got major oil companies in there and large independents. Okay. The county commissioners didn't want to screw with them, write new rules and regulations. But since there wasn't any production where we were, and you know, they and since and since a, uh, approach was rather small, independent, they went okay. First of all, moratorium on drilling, stop everything. Okay, I know you got your your eight uh, uh, permit. Well, we don't yeah. care. It's moratorium. Well, we <laughs> spend uh, I don't know two years writing rules and regulations. And hope that your lease expires and, you know, all that type of thing, you know. Wow. <laughs> and so they wrote new rules and regulations. And those new rules and regulations weren't rules and regulations for drilling. They were prohibitive. You, there's no possible way anybody could drill for oil and gas under the rules and regulations. Troy, it was a taking. Okay? Wow. Now, in these notes here I made... I remembered something. So that's a that's a, 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 a miscarriage of justice. Okay, it's never been challenged. Mora uh, uh, County, east of there, the uh, the county commissioners there got yeah okay this sounds like a great idea we'll do this, except over there it was mother shell. Who had put two hundred thousand acres together? Holy and cow. when they came up with the rules, they were coming up with the rules and regulations. They were saying it and everything, and and uh, Shell said, "I'm, I'm it's not going to work for Billy me." Billy wouldn't do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, because not only are we going to sue the county, we're going to see each one of you individually. Well, they didn't listen. Went ahead and did it, and Shell sued them out of their, their seats. And wow, that didn't hold there. It's never been challenged in Rio Riva County. So in western Rio Riba County, you have one set of rules and regulations. What Eastern uh, uh, Rio Riba County, you have another set of rules and regulations. And, and the, uh, uh, the state oil and gas commission sits back and lets this happen. 
even though that's a major source of income. They tried that up in Colorado. Boulder County tried that. And the, uh, uh, the, the commission there slapped them down so hard and so fast it made their head spin. Wow. Uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's the way that is. I think you'll find this interesting. And uh, that is my official first meeting with the land grant heirs was in a back room of uh, Foster's Bar in Chama, New Mexico. And they had guys with guns posted uh, at the door. Wow, what the hell? Okay, and I'm sitting there, you know, like, hmm, what am I doing here, man? And I decided I was never going to go back up there unarmed again, and I didn't. One of the guys that I became good friends with those guys, and uh, one of them, uh, several months after our first meeting, <clears throat> there's something called the Chama Mafia, okay? And it's made up of a bunch of uh, uh, real estate, uh, supposedly, made up of some bankers and uh, real estate people and, uh, and uh, uh, surveyors, et cetera. Yeah. Supposedly, you know. It's kind of like the, uh, the Santa Fe Ring, uh, which was, uh, I don't know. If, did you see that new Billy the Kid uh, series going? They talked about the, the Santa Fe Ring. Mm -hmm. it was, uh, uh, very similar. They didn't want any oil and gas in there. Okay. Because it's, it's, it's pretty country, you know? And they're real estate agents. And right, they're not and stuff, oil and gas They don't care about it. Right. They also didn't want anybody challenging the uh, the gringo uh, chain of title and this was uh, they saw me right i mean i bec i guarantee you someplace you know in an fbi file they look at me as a land grant activist you know i helped organize these guys and, yeah uh, you know i met with them i got followed uh on a couple occasions by you know the typical uh, a, a, a black suburban with blacked out windows and all that type of thing. It was uh, wow. it was kind of a, kind of a weird deal. One of my guys got shot in the stomach with a black rifle and fell to the ground. And while he was on the ground, he was shot in the knee with a forty-five. The judge ruled it an accidental shooting. Okay, shot twice with different weapons, and it was an accidental shooting. So, I mean, it was, I mean, it's, Jeez. it's frontier land yeah. up there. And that's, like I say, that's, I left there just, uh, well, let's see, 2011, I guess. So a little over 10 years ago. Right. Um, but uh, I, I, I gave those guys hundreds of thousands of dollars. I didn't give it to them. They, they made it. Created they, a way for them to yeah, make. exactly. I strongly suspect and uh, that the, uh, and he's passed away now, so I hate to talk behind his back, but uh, uh, if he was alive, I'd be speaking just as direct as, as you and I are now. Uh, I strongly suspect that he thought that he could take some of those monies 
and go to the casino and double or triple up or something and go put the money back that he had taken out. Mm-hmm. He went through every nickel. There was not any money left. Okay? It's like, okay, well, I'll get another $40,000 and go down to the casinos. You know, and, and he just got in. And, and so every bit of the money. I'd worked for years to give these people a leg up where they could hire attorneys and do stuff and whatnot. Jeez. I know. And then I had uh, the other 500,000 uh, acres. Uh, so all the hundreds of thousands that they made was uh, just from the 90,000. Wow. So another had to have another half million. But the people had to go take leases. Right. And they did. And what happened, and, and while they were uh, sitting there uh, getting ready to, to take leases and had land men in the field and whatnot, uh, then along comes with the county that shut everything down. Right, and rules against. Yeah. So anyway, that's a that's an aside. It's a different deal, but uh, it that uh, was very disappointed uh, 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 by that. Sure. The I, outcome. I, I mean, I became very much interested in the plight of the and the T.R. Maria Land Grant is uh, one of many that uh, that that happened to some 78 percent of the of the land grants in california were adjudicated and found and given to them maybe 20 percent in new mexico the rest of them stolen or what have you mm-hmm. to say that 80 percent of them did it did not end up with the heirs and i just don't think there's any way those heirs would have gotten rid of they didn't anywhere else you know, and Texas adjudicated them differently and did it well. Is There's that right? a few exceptions. The King Ranch has been uh, uh, challenged many times, and Padre Island has been. Uh, uh, Is that uh, right? Challenged. You yeah. ever go down there? Huh? You ever go down there, South Padre Island? Yeah, I was just there uh, two Come weeks on. ago. Come on. You were at South Padre Island Not two weeks. South Padre, but Padre Island. Uh-huh. I haven't been. When I was a little boy, we lived in Harlingen. Wow, right Yeah, on. so I mean, I've been over there a lot. I, I, but the last time I was actually there at South Padre, uh, uh, across from Brownsville, was uh, 1983. Wow, right on. That's right when my brother was born. Shit, I, don't even, I wasn't even born yet. I was born where? Well, no, it's just that year, or oh. close to that year. Uh, um, I know. Uh, Troy, don't rub it in. I'm old. So- <laughs> Uh, damn it. So South Padre, so tell me about the Padre Islands. What, it's under a land grant or it's not? It's considered to be under, partially under a land grant. Oh, okay. Right? And a King Ranch, definitely. Uh, but Is that right? Anyway, you know, you're not going to get anything out of the King Ranch, man. <laughs> They're the ones that have guns on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Son of a gun, man! What that stuff's super interesting to me. Just the history of that, and and how you're talking about these land grants, kind of reminds me of the real old uh, claims. You know, they call them. Uh, gosh, damn it! Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm blanking. They're uh, gosh, they're these claims that run around in in the areas of Arizona and all this stuff that go back to the 1800s. Hard rock claims, yeah, yeah. And they're just they're basically kind of gifted to an individual or a group of individuals by the state because no one nothing was there no one was there kind of idea 
and they're going, well, I think there's copper here, and I want I want this claim. I but wanna, they have to do something every, uh, every twenty years or something. Yeah, like you keep, gotta. Yeah, you yeah. gotta keep working on the shit. Yeah, uh-huh. you can't supposedly. <laughs> right, right. You submit something. Uh, but yeah, no, it's super interesting how how all that goes, and and then the rules and golly i mean what an experience and like you say that just wrapped up in 2011 huh all that well it's not i, I would not call it wrapped up wrapped up those people are not through uh, i mean they're pissed off Troy. they had their land taken from them and uh and they're not happy about it and they're not going to forget about it yeah yeah and then you came out with a way to to get revenue back to them as to, to squandered yeah, and, uh, and as that, I found out later, and uh, and that uh, that man uh, died, and he was somebody to be reckoned with too. He he had uh, done multiple tours in Vietnam and, wow. and taught jungle warfare and and uh, Ecuador and that picture of of him squatting down with a head in each hand. You know, he had uh, worked the? with the Montagnard in uh, in Vietnam. Oh uh, shit! Yeah. Um, I'm out on that. He was, uh, there were some badasses in that group, you know. <laughs> wow. And I wasn't one of them, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to get them to integrate, man. I mean, sheesh, raw tooth and claw, man. Golly. Anyway, uh, root hog or die, you know. You got to, uh, if you're somebody like me, Independent. And Troy, I went broke multiple times. That was eight years I was on that land grant. Eight years. Uh, At one time, I got down to, we literally were going through the cushions of our couch in the living room. Found We had $13 and I think 83 cents, something like that, to our names. When I went down to close on the 90,000 acres, which made me a multimillionaire. Okay. Before lunch, I had enough. We maxed out the credit card. I got down there, and I got a nice hotel room at uh, the Fairmount in Dallas because I knew they would ask me where I was staying because it, you know, sizing me up, you know. And I got down there because it was it was. It was a dicey deal. And we sat there, and, you know, I'm sitting there with the, with the with instruments, and I ain't getting them to them until the the wire that they had just sent hit my bank. Wow. And my office uh, in, uh, in, in Colorado was, you know, waiting and you know, checking every once in a while to see if the wire had hit there. And uh, and it became lunchtime, okay, and it still hadn't hit. And I was like, okay, well, let's go buy lunch. Let's go get lunch. Well, guess who was making all the money? Me, okay? But I didn't have any money. <laughs> I couldn't afford lunch for me, much less for everybody else. Right. Okay? Right. I was broke before lunch, and after lunch, I was a multimillionaire. What the hell? Okay. So the guy that ended up being my partner, Vance Payne in Smith and Payne. Yeah. Okay. He was on the other side. Is okay? that right? And I knew him 
Okay? And so it was relieving. I kind of went back and grabbed Vance by the elbow. And I said, and I said you're going to have to get lunch. I can't afford lunch. <laughs> and his head swiveled around. So we had him, you know? Wow. I was completely broke. Holy shit. So he ended up liking the way that uh, I handled myself, and we ended up being partners. <laughs> He's dead now. He passed away this year. He did? Yeah. So never smoked good. a day in his life, and he died of lung cancer. Huh. Isn't that crazy? Just, as, uh, just a complete straight era. You know, he, I mean, I he liked him. his whiskey, uh, uh, but he never smoked. And uh, what did he get lung cancer from? I have no idea. He didn't work in down. He didn't work shafts and or no, weird. No, no, hell no. In fact, <laughs> lucky guy in the world. He got uh, drafted to go to Vietnam, and they sent him to Hawaii to do typing. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Yeah, the one in like 100,000. I said, did you smoke any dope over there? I mean, I was thinking, you know, all this Maui Wowie and tie sticks and everything. <laughs> no, never did. <laughs> That's how straight he was. I yeah. mean, he's in the service. He's in a way. It's the 60s. Okay. <laughs> Didn't touch and it. And he dies of lung cancer. Golly. No kidding. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Damn. Anyway, good Sorry guy. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And uh, but boy, I tell you what, he uh, his his eyes snapped. You could hear his <laughs> eyes snap to the left before his neck ever turned around. It's like, oh man, we had this guy because they tried to hold my feet to the fire uh, that morning uh, at the lawyer's office. Here's the thing. Wow. Vance, his company, had put up some of the money for me to do the deal. But not very much. Mm-hmm. What they were bringing to the table was that they had an oil company, and they did have money, and they had scientists and all that type of thing. Vance was a landman. I needed help putting acreage together. Okay? Well, after two years, they had never taken a, le- taken a lease. I'm going broke. You know, I'm working on this, this uh, huge land grant stuff, yeah. and I'm going broke. And uh, I, I finally went to him and I said, look, I said, i tell you what. You turn this back over to me. I, th- I thought you guys were going to buy leases. You hadn't buy one lease in here in two years. I said, you know, what good are you doing, me? And you got half the deal. I said, now they had tried to sell it, but I mean, it was, uh, it was a Mickey Mouse deal. So I said, give it to me for, uh, I'll, I'll sell it in 180 days. And if I don't sell it in 180 days, I'll give it all to you. Sheesh. Okay? So I had four days left on that 180 that days right? when they were telling me. That was big-time poker, buddy. It's like, fine, don't buy it. I don't care. <laughs> oh, sheesh. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, so that, all right. that was my first real money. Okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know. You're drilling wells, and you've got production, and it's rolling up behind you, and you're you're making a living, as you've heard me say, a hard way to make an easy living, but never accumulating a a lot of money. I sold my production and and got a a pretty sweet deal, but it was $15 oil, you know, and and $1.50 gas, and these were older wells by that time. So uh, that was my first real money. And then the Leon Cita was uh, added to that. And uh, and then I was going to retire, except for this 
Talk on Eureka, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay. All right. So the transition uh, from Milagro to Eureka is the Liancita. Yes. I told my guys, I said, I want you to find a similar setup. and, and the, uh, Structurally. Structurally. Tectonically. Tectonically in the Permian Basin. Right on. Well, the situation... In New Mexico, was a north-south fault was Nacimiento fault system, right? And the northwest to southeast, that seventy-degree angle you see there over and go. over again, yeah. was a, a an extension of the uh, Anadarko shear zone, right? And they crossed right at the land grant. And like I said earlier, it's a train wreck for the Niobrara. Oh, by the way, I couldn't sell that deal. I couldn't sell it. I couldn't sell it, and everyone sell. Up in Colorado, the Niobrara deal is just... Uh, blowing and going. Blowing and going. <laughs> I'm like, what's the deal? And I went, this is Niobrara age. This is all. Yeah. So I started calling it Niobrara. Six weeks later, I had it sold. Son of a bitch. After years of trying to get it placed, all I did was change the name. <laughs> Golly. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of, uh, sometimes the uh, oil industry is... Uh, uh, like a lot of sheep, you know, it just is. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I would like to before we get right into that, the 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 lab, basically, the fractured uh, uh, shale lab yeah. that we used was the Rocky Mountains. I mean, what better place for uh, for natural fractures uh, than uh, than the Rockies? Yeah, one of the okay? biggest mountain building events well, in the world. You won't recognize all these names. You're certainly going to recognize, and so will your, the, the, our audience. Uh, these fields uh, starting uh, at six o'clock, if you will, and in New Mexico and going on up into uh, Wyoming. You got uh, uh, Puerto Chiquito field, which we've talked about, and then you got East Puerto Chiquito. You got Boulder field. Those are smaller fields. Uh, Rio Puerco field, the Verde field, Rangeley. Uh, which was uh, discovered at the turn of the last century uh, that produced millions of barrels. Well, you can see the anticline from your car, okay? <laughs> and the, uh, the, the Mancos is at 1,200 feet. Uh, Toe Creek, uh, Sierra Madre, Buck Creek, Salt Creek, Teapot Dome, which everybody's mm. heard of, Silo Field, which everybody's heard of, the Jake Well, which is a fabulous well, and the Wattenberg Field. Uh, and then Wattenberg Field in general to the north where the, where the uh, mineral belt is, where, where it's highly fractured. Uh, that's great. And then uh, uh, Florence Oil Field, which we've talked about. Uh, and then uh, down to the Milagro uh, uh, Prospect. Uh, and then back to Prechiquito. And Milagro was just kind of a, a missing button on a shirt. You know, wow. it's like, uh, you know, let's do this. All so we, have in common naturally fractured reservoirs. All have in common naturally fractured shale reservoirs. Gotcha. Okay. And some of them uh, way before, most of them way before anybody thought about, hey, let's go for shale, man. You know, it's uh, who really opened it is George Mitchell okay. uh, in the Barnett Shale. <laughs> but as I said, in 1881, we found uh, uh, naturally fractured pier, sh pier shale. And I call it Pierre because it's spelled Pierre. It's uh, it outcrops in uh, in Pierre, uh, South Dakota. Okay. And so it's called, the, and they pronounce it Pierre, not Pierre. 
I always get, I say it all the time because it's spelled Pierre. And I go, oh, Pierre. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you've got, uh, so we looked at all that. And one of the places that people should really look if they want to do some more, what I call the Bible of, uh, of, of, of fractured shale, uh, is a guy named uh, William Mallory, Bill Mallory. Uh, with the USGS out of Denver, and he did a uh, a whole study on uh, on fractured reservoirs. Uh, in fact, it was called the you know, United States Geological Survey: Oil and Gas from Fractured Shale Reservoirs in Colorado and Northwest New Mexico. Okay, and it's a quick read. Yeah, it's f- fabulous read. It's way interesting. Uh, so I thought I'd read a few things uh, that 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 I think are germane to this that I think will blow a lot of people's minds. Please. With the fractures may vary from hairline to cavernous. Cases are known where the jewel string has suddenly dropped 15 to 20 feet. Right? A high-capacity vertical fracture system with fluid transmissibility that may be as high as 500 Darcy feet. Divides the rock into blocks of nearly impermeable shale whose internal fracture transmissibility is about 0.01 to 1.0 Darcy feet. So what you have are these like parallelograms. Yep. Okay? And these blocks, which can be like up to like 200 acres in size, are bound by faults. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's your chances of taking an eight and five eighths inch hole and drilling into a principal fracture? You have to do what I call, you've heard me say it before, an AT&T frac. Reach out and touch someone or drill horizontally. Right. Okay. To to get into this. And that's what happened with this, uh, with this three million barrel well. They drove eight and five eighths. They were in a tight block. They didn't do anything. They fracked. You could be two feet away. And not know that you're that you're there, because okay? the rock is completely impermeable. I'm going to read you something that they found at Parchiquito and Boulder Field was that there was what they said was quote zero matrix porosity. Right. Okay. The entire. And I said this before. The 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 the. the that all the porosity, permeability, and storage was the planar voids of the faults. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Here's a, this is at Rangeley Field. In one instance, willow branches about half an inch in diameter and six inches long were pumped down a rotary hole to fill lost circulation voids. Some of these willows were recovered along with oil and mud from a nearby cable tool hole penetrating the same fracture. The intersections of these fractures with the two holes are known to be at least 175 feet apart. And they're finding willow branches as big as your thumb, 175 feet away from the other borehole. Okay? (laughs) Now, I've also had people tell me, oh, faults don't, uh, I mean, uh, open fractures don't exist at, at depth. Probably... I don't know, maybe deeper than four or 5,000 feet because of the overburden. They think it's right. close it up. Yeah. That's just simply not true. Yeah. That's, it sounds good, 
You'd think it might be the case, but it isn't true. <laughs> and this is here. In air-drilled holes, the dusting may have temporarily ceased and or uh, gas or oil may have been noted, maybe. In rotary with mud holes, watch especially for lost circulation in shale zones. Well, we certainly know that. On electric logs, a kick on this on this self-potential curve may or may not be present and significant. Okay? So if you're going off of logs, or if you're going off of samples drilling with mud, right. you're SOL. You know? It works some places, but yeah. It admit. does work some places. But here's the question. How much better would that well have been if you had drilled it uh, with air or drilled it with cable tools and not plastered all that mud back into the hole? Okay? Because you are all you're doing is pushing all that mud and all and LCM way back. you you can either you have a, a, a limited uh, 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 um, communication mm -hmm. with your uh, with your reservoir. Or it's gone. Uh, yeah, what an interesting concept. So you while you're while drilling, if it's pretty tight rock, it's got matrix porosity, that kind of idea, and you start losing circulation, you throw a little LCM down there and some, and you mud up, and it's supposed to be just near well bore. Should cake right up, and you just keep drilling. You should keep getting your cuttings, keep getting returns. But when when that doesn't happen, and all of a sudden you're losing you know, a hundred barrels of mud and you're losing all this LCM, you know, shouldn't you just, shouldn't that be an indicator of like, Hey, let's, let's stop here <laughs> and see what it has to give rather than let's try to plug it up. Nobody does. That does that. They're not looking for natural factors. And, and what, what happens is, is it's like, it's a nuisance zone. Oh yeah. my God, you can't believe how high my mud bills were. Right. It's like, you just bypassed possibly a huge uh, opportunity. Okay. Cuttings from rotary drills are of little value in detecting and evaluating fracturing. Now, this is the most, I, I, I think that, I gotta have to make this point. I know we need to get into uh, further on, but but I, I hope your audience is is paying attention here because this is uh, this is also from Bill Mallory. About ninety percent of all fractured shale reservoirs were discovered prior to nineteen thirty five, and after nineteen fifty five. Okay, why is that? One word: mud. Okay. Up to 1935, it was mainly cable tools. After, it says right here, prior to 1935, conventional use of cable tool rigs made fractured reservoirs easier to detect. Come to see you, you know? After 1955, a limited revival of cable tool drilling and the introduction of rotary drilling with air restored earlier advantages in detection. Okay? So wow. what's the best way to find, if, you're, if you know you're in a fractured area, like we do, okay? Right. Then you drill with air. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, now, as you and I know, we've talked with engineers before. Oh, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna drill with mud. You know, it's like you know we get better samples and and uh, you know we prevent blowouts and all that type of thing. Well, yeah, but I thought hmm. we were looking for oil here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, on interference tests, now this is from Al Greer, uh, who discovered the Puerto Chiquito field. On interference tests in West Puerto Chiquito, measurable pressure changes occurred in observation wells within 24 hours of commencement of production of wells as far as one and a half miles away. You've got a conduit, a fracture that is just a pipeline. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you've got uh, interference tests that are uh, affecting pressure of producing wells a mile and a half away. Okay? In 24 hours. That's mind-boggling. All right? So I would say to people, Okay, drilling along, you get this fracture. Oh, that's the drill bit. The weight of the drill bit is causing these fractures. And I'm like, no, these 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 fractures pre-exist. They're tectonically there before the, the the they ever heard of a drill bit in these parts, you know. But they go, no, no, that's this is uh, these are drilling fractures. induced, huh? Drilling induced, drilling induced fractures is what they say. That's another argument, right? I don't know what the resistance is to this, but I, <laughs> I, let me tell you, I've certainly run across a lot of it. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Here's here's Al Greer, you know, and uh, here's the guy, you know, twenty three million barrels, you know. You're an automatically smart guy when you, when you find 23 million barrels. He says, a well cored in the Verde field, located on the northwest shelf of the San Juan Basin, showed con- concrete, quote-unquote, evidence of the fractured reservoir, uh, of the fractured reservoir, was recovered. There were no problems interpreting fractures in the core. The entire core was laced in dendritic pattern of fracture, quote-unquote, casts consisting of oil well cement and lost circulation material, which had filled the natural fractures. One large fracture was represented by a cement slab seven and a half feet long and one and a half inches thick and equally thick from one side of the core to the other. Okay? What this doesn't say is that the protocol was to drill uh, with mud... Uh, vertically to within about I don't know depending on the operator depending uh, uh, fifty to hundred feet of the target Niobrara zone mm-hmm. okay and then they would uh, uh, cement the pipe you know put a shoe on cement uh, pipe and then drill out the shoe and and core it. Okay, in this particular instance, usually what they would do is just drill out the shoe with air and drill through the interval with air because of natural fractures, but also in this case because of swelling clays. Mm. Uh, you've heard me say a uh, joke that uh, you know uh, they shouldn't have brought a canteen on location here because of all of the swelling clays. This had been a highly volcanic area back in this period. Anyway. So in this case, they came down, if I recall, they didn't start coring until 32 or 3 feet below the shoe, okay? And they're bringing up oil well cement, okay? And you've heard me talk about this, too. Everybody's always talking about, well, we retrieved the core 
but uh, you know, it was incomplete. Seventy-five percent. Yeah. Okay. Or whatever. Well, this would have been incomplete retrieval if the cement had not come down through the fractures thirty-two feet, and they cored like twenty feet. So I mean, it was it was it was more than that. Like they say, fifty feet. Anyway. It got down to here anyway where they cored. Yeah. The cement had set up inside of the fractures. And so it was a cast. Okay? It was an exact cast of the fractures, which if you had pulled up the core without that cement there, they would have collapsed. And you got an incomplete re- uh, core retrieval again. What's wrong with our core bells, damn it? You know, it had nothing to do with that. It's, it, when you see incomplete core retrieval, you're trying to retrieve voids, right. which you can't retrieve. Now, you can retrieve some smaller bugs and stuff like that, but natural fractures are going to collapse when you drill through them and pull them up. Right. Okay? So this is why he called it concrete evidence, because <laughs> they had heard it too. It's yeah. like, oh, no, there's not open fractures at this depth. Yeah, they are. And here's you know evidence of it for anybody that's wow. like, you know. So, so you've already seen. So, <clears throat> this is the cautionary statement they put together. Conventional drilling and completion practices have no application in the fractured reservoirs and result in large amounts of mud and LCM plastered into fractures, sealed off access to reservoirs due to swelling clays, in this instance, sealed fractures from cement, you know, so they were doing open hole. You set casing through this. If it's big time fractured, and you put a bunch of cement out uh, on top of the mud and everything yeah. out there, and then modest wells or dry holes after even large fracks. And of course, everybody wants to acidize too, so they push the mud back even further. You know, um, so anyway, um, this is, like I say, this is not to say you can't make a well. It's just like what? How good that would? How much better would that well have been? If you drilled with with a different protocol and drilled with air, and uh, hmm. and not pushed all that stuff back there. One more quote here, uh, and I alluded to it. The operators of Boulder, Boulder and Puerto pools have recognized the producing reservoirs to be of fracture porosity only. Although the majority of the industry's oil reservoirs that are fractured are those that comprise a rock with matrix porosity laced with fractures. Okay? So, so when we think about induced fractures, we think about, okay, let's create these voids, let's create these fractures, and then, you know, we'll get some flush production and then the matrix porosity will bleed into these fractures and we can recover that. Mm-hmm. The reason that this well made 3 million barrels of oil is because it had had, the fractures had been created 35 million years ago. Okay? And even though we say, okay, there's no matrix porosity, there's always some, but it's certainly not going to move in real time. But give it 35 million years, yeah. and it's going to sweat into and fill up those voids. Okay? So in the case of natural, pre-existing natural fractures, they fill up with oil. It's like a petrophysicist and, and, uh, and uh, 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 a reservoir engineer said. 
you know, we look at the logs, we can't come up with a number on the oil and gas in here, okay? All we can tell you is if these natural fractures exist, uh, like your geologic study says, they're going to be full of oil, mm -hmm. okay? So you don't have to wait for this matrix to slowly bleed back in. You know, we see these... these, these, these sharp uh, declines. Sharp declines uh, because you create the natural fractures, but pretty quickly you're off to what was there before you ever fracked it. You've communicated way back in there, but now you're wait, you've gotten your flush production out of these fractures. Now you're, you're waiting for bleed-in, and which I would imagine that some of these wells in the, uh, uh, in the wolf bone, uh, like the sprayberry, same thing, will produce for 70 years or longer. You know, they're tight, mm -hmm. but they continue... Uh, 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 to produce slowly. Okay, uh, so you know, hmm. I, I kind of got off on this. Uh, okay, so I decided that uh, you know let's let's find a, sim a similar setup. Right. And what we found uh, was um, a place where the we had the 1.2 billion year old Texas zone. Uh, that runs all the way from Africa That's right. uh, through here. And Texas it was Shear. crossed at a, and by the way, that's about 70 degrees as well. Yep, north 70 west. Yeah, and uh, we see the uh, the basin and range faults uh, uh, that are much newer uh, that, uh, that cross it and reactivate uh, that 1.2 billion year old fault zone. Yeah, you got the Nakazari slab tear running through. You got all kinds of structural things going on right exactly. here. Exactly. Uh, how about Pangea running into it like a <laughs> bumper car? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, where we are at Eureka uh, is naturally fractured, and we, uh, you, have done a uh, what? Looked at nine hundred wells, and we've got three hundred. Uh, uh, technical slides that you've come up with, and and uh, uh, we know for a fact uh, that it's fractured uh, uh, to beat the band. You know, maybe we're not going to drop the tools in the hole 15 or 20 feet, <laughs> but you can have hairline fractures right. even that produce a, an amazing amount of oil. I'm, I produced, uh, I had uh, one foot of uh, Darcy, what do you, what's the word for it? Microlog. I'm sorry, one foot of, of good microlog. One foot of good microlog. It produced, it flowed over 100 <laughs> barrels a day for a year before we had to put it on pump. Sheesh. One foot. Okay. Uh, a hairline fracture can produce for years, depending on what it's, its extent and whatnot. So, but we have seen all of the things that we, uh, we, we look for uh, and that we're told to look for by the experts, the USGS, people that have successfully drilled uh, naturally fractures, et cetera. Um, and uh, we have seen, we have proprietary well logs, for one thing, out here. Right. Uh, that nobody uh, else has, or at least uh, nobody that we're aware of. 
Uh, we've seen bit torquing uh, that we see when we go through uh, uh, fractures. Uh, we've seen calipers off scale uh, that a lot of people say, oh, you know, uh, that, that's, a, you know, it, it's a washout. Mm -hmm. it, 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 those are fractures. We know by putting it together with other information we have. We've seen motor, uh, rotary uh, mud drilling, lost circulation. We've seen a lot of that. We've seen rotary air drilling where dusting ceases mm -hmm. for a long way. And everybody goes, oh, well, if you don't have enough pressure there, uh, you know, if you're losing air, I mean, come on, there can't be anything there with any pressure. That's just not true. And uh, Bill Mallory at the USGS tells us that. Right. And I don't understand the dynamics of that, but we know to look for lost circulation, even with air. We've seen mudlog descriptions down here that describe uh, the zone as cavernous. We've seen gas flare and oil on pits in tight zones. Where's that coming from, you know? And we've seen hundreds of barrels of oil uh, in shows uh, uh, that uh, have been produced. Uh, what got me interested down here, and also what, uh, you know, I was in the, uh, uh, I put 118,000 acres together, the old Leon Cedar Ranch, and uh, started doing uh, some research in there and uh, because this was an area that I knew was going to be naturally fractured. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody said, well, you guys are prospecting from 50,000 feet. And I was like, yeah, because when you're looking for natural fractures, that's what you have to do. You're looking for tectonics. And uh, I bought a, uh, a shale log uh, from New Tech, uh, Alan Howard. And this is what brought him down. Uh, uh, his company that he was part of, Throne, uh, bought 35,000 acres uh, through me, placed with him. He said he's down there because the highest calculated barrels of oil in place for one well that he'd ever seen in all the logs that he had run in the Delaware Basin was right here uh, on, the, on the ranch. Wow. 737,701,000 calculated barrels of oil in place per section. Three quarters of a billion barrels of oil in place. He said he'd never seen anything like it. And says, so that's why we're down here. They never even asked to see my science. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, that's kind of hubristic, but okay, you know, as long as you buy 35,000 acres, it's a deal. <laughs> Now, here's the interesting part of it. And, of course, they immediately went after the, the Woodford, which, and I told them, I said, no, the Woodford's, that's, that's dry gas. You don't want to go after that. Well, oh, no, it's not. Well, he, they're following up on John Comer, who had been extremely successful uh, in the Woodford, by, uh, bird dog in the Woodford up in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Okay? And he saw a similar setup uh, down here and had mapped it and everything. So they... they you know, saw this one, oh, we'll go after the Woodford. I said, it's dry gas. I said, it, does, it won't make, it, you, you can't make it at these prices right now unless it's liquids rich. I know it's liquids rich. We know it's liquids rich. Okay. So uh, uh, they never made it uh, uh, to the Woodford. And then uh, uh, I placed 82,000 acres with Devon. And uh, Devon, who was a big player in the Woodford up in Oklahoma, came down here for the same reason. They never looked at any of my science either. They never wanted to see any of my wow. uh, my, lo my logs 
that were uh, proprietary logs. And I said, I said, look, I'm not trying to, to rope you out, but I've got these logs, and I'm not supposed to show them to anybody unless I have a confidentiality. Well, we're not going to sign that. I said, yeah, but you're going to find out that that's dry gas. You're not. You, you don't want that. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Anyway, not me. My scientists say this. You know, and uh, and so does this. You know, they only got seventy-eight. One of the wells that was tested, they tested it for weeks, and there was only seventy-eight barrels of condensate produced during the whole time. It's very dry gas. Yeah. And uh, so. They drilled that. They drilled two wells over there on their acreage. And uh, I talked to them, to, and, and, and I said, well, what about it? He said, well, we got gas. And I said, uh, you sending any fluids? They said, no. And I said, yeah, I didn't think so. I said, uh, I said, well, what's the deal? He said, well, it's a commercial well, but it just doesn't. We're Devon. We're, you know, a, a, a publicly traded company. It's not going to move our needle. I said, but we think we have some uh, uh, cement problems, too. And I said, well, that wouldn't surprise me because of all the samples and everything, the descriptions are that's very churdy. Uh, and it's described as fractured. There's fractures in, in some of the samples uh, that were brought back. So I would guess that it would be pretty easy to have a, a you know, a cement issue. Yeah. Wow. Well, about that time, they're messing around with it. And uh, they temporarily abandoned it for a while. And then they... Uh, uh, the price went down, product, and uh, they let go a bunch of people. And they brought on a new head of exploration, and he said, we're going to circle the wagons on our core production fields uh, up north of here, and we're not doing any more exploratory stuff, so they shut in the wells. So I never got any test, good test, on either one, of, uh, and nothing on the uh, Wolf Camp of Bone Spring, uh, on that 118,000 acres. I'm like, whoa, is me, man, what's the deal? I mean, yeah, I'm making some money on, this, uh, on these things, but that's not what I'm here for. I've never been in here just for the money. I'm here to find oil and gas. I'm an oil man. That's what I do. And yet, so, but I had accumulated enough money to where I was going to quit until the, uh, the doggone Eureka got my attention and uh and that's where you come in <laughs> and that's where we are now yeah and uh uh the 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 eureka is uh, let me look through my notes here. yeah no take your time here it is and uh, and Really, Troy, this should have been mentioned in the beginning because people have been going, God, this guy's just going to drone on forever. Where are we going with this deal? <laughs> and I should have said in the beginning, oh, by the way, I've got a prospect right now, and it's been thoroughly scienced and engineered. And uh, the petrophysicist and the reservoir engineer so we got 488 barrels of oil per day, uh, per, uh, uh, per day vertically, and 2,447 barrels of oil per day horizontally. That's what this uh, engineers and uh, uh, 
and and, Pat, and, and the Patrick Society combined. Mm-hmm. And why don't we talk about that some? I, I, I've I've been talking. Uh, you're the scientist here. Uh, you want to talk a, a little bit about it, or you and I can swap back and forth. Talk yeah. to us about the Eureka. Yeah, yeah. Now you approached me asking for a structural interpretation of what's going on here and how could how could there be a naturally fractured reservoir in the wolf camp bone spring and if it is there wouldn't it be filled with oil and so we we got to dive into that you know you you really put that together you put a lot of data together you had proprietary logs and you had this information so i i was familiar with the story of pangea obviously you know you got your kind con- of a big story yeah right you got a a really locked in converging vector and that's big for structural geology yeah, that's what this block is saying this is the andy cube from molly turco and that's exactly what you're doing you're trying you're going on outcrop or you're going into an area and you're lining up your converging vectors. You're lining up sigma one, sigma three, sigma two. That's what geologists do. And it's just how things break. It's how a piece of wood breaks, a two by four. If you have a converging vector in a two by four, it'll break systematically. And all these fractures start happening the same way over and over and over from grand scale to drill hole scale, from tectonic scale to drill hole scale. And so you put it. You you put me to the test. Fractals, yeah. From from something you can see from outer space down to the That's microscope. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, okay. If the if this is real or if it is breaking uh, the way that these these drill hole scale logs are saying fractures are breaking, then does that line up with the regional scale stuff? Does that line up with what's going on in Marathon and all this outcrop work that's been done for 50, 60 years, you know, in Marathon, understanding Pangea? And sure as shit, it just keeps lining up. I'm going, man, this is pretty cool. You know, if you can take something from tectonic scale to drill hole scale, now you have a really predictable model. You have something that you can use to start making predictions and drilling into and seeing if those predictions are real. But without that data that you've compiled, you, you just kind of go from tectonic scale and, and, you know, who knows what to do with it. But you've confined it with a top and bottom time, an age. And so now we have a lot more data and the rest of those 900 wells and the well logs and all that information that is narrowing us in at this Bone Spring Wolf Camp time. The wolf bone, if you want to call it that, or Eureka. We it's, call it Eureka. Yeah, and it's Eureka because it's a world-class reservoir that's been naturally fractured. We know that there's millions and billions of barrels that have been calculated in place by the USGS and others, petrophysicists and all the work that's been done in the wolf camp in Bone Spring of the Delaware Basin. We're in the south side of this thing, but what makes it Eureka, I think, is the naturally fractured patterns that we're seeing. And you're, you're talking about cracks, planar voids. You're talking about all these things that you've seen in other areas, in shales, in, in source rocks that have been naturally fractured. And so that's very, very exciting. We see a lot of this data coming back and repeating itself. So a geologic model should have good repeatability, and you should be able to use it to make predictions. And that's where we're at. You've, it's the project we have. And that's the other thing is that, uh, that I didn't mention when I was talking about that 737 million barrels. 
from that new tech shale oil calculation, yeah. 42% of that he calculated to come out of the Bone Spring and the Wolf Camp. Yeah, right. So, and also, uh, we found that USG, because a lot of people think it's gassy down here. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of ga- a, a gas produced uh, 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 down uh, uh, close to us. Yeah, they all, but I mean, we're yeah. seeing 34 and 36 gravity oil is decidedly right. not gassy, and according to the USGS, uh, we're uh, I think from 4,200 feet to 10,020 feet or something like right. that, directly in the oil window, which is right in the middle, of the heart of, uh, of what we're looking at here. Yeah. So we've got uh, it's definitely not gassy. No, yeah, yeah gassy stories coming from rocks that are like. 300 million years older <laughs> or 200 or whatever it's a you know it's a whole nother converging vector a whole nother situation where all that a lot of that gas is coming from so we've put together this study mm-hmm. and we're going back 20 years from my my, my like wow three million barrel uh, well and doing a full study uh, with 11 geologists looking at uh, a naturally fractured reservoirs in the rocky mountain lab to, hey, let's find this in the Permian Basin, to now to the, the Rico Zone with a, a, a thorough study. And uh, and we went out and we showed it to one company. One company. We've only showed it to one company. That's right. Somebody that I knew. And they said, we'll give you a verbal for 75%. We want it. Yep. But we're non-ops. I said, okay. So then we went... And some of this we're going to have to farm out. And we went to the company and uh, that, that owns the leases, and they said, yeah, we're interested in, in farming out to you, but, but you don't operate. you got to have an operator. I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> from my perspective, here I'm sitting, I have never had a prospect where I didn't have a handle on the acreage. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just going out. I mean, how can I go to Nape and go, hey, look what I got? And they go, oh, yeah, it's unleashed. This is great. Thanks a lot to it. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, so I'm sitting in a situation right now yeah. where uh, uh, I'd like to go to Nape, for instance, and show this, and uh, which I've, I went to Nape, you know, twice a year for, for uh, uh, years, almost two decades. And, uh, but I can't do that with this. Yeah. So we're in a situation here, a great situation, where we got three quarters sold to one company, and now we need an operator. But how do we approach the operator? We're going to have to go one by one. And uh, some of them may not. The way to protect myself uh, is to do a, 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 a CA, mm-hmm. or non-compete. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some people don't want to sign those. Uh, and I'm not trying to block anybody out. I'm just trying to protect myself. Uh, this covers a hell of a lot of acreage. And we're not trying to, to, to corner the market. Uh, but to all you smart landmen that are out there, you know, and if, if you work for a company or uh, you uh, drill wells yourself or whatnot, let me know how I, how you would approach this if you got some ideas, or if you're an operator out there, and uh, you don't mind signing a CA when you're looking at over two million barrels of oil 
uh, horizontally or almost 500 uh, vertically. By the way, here's something else that I think is extremely important. Uh, we've got two wells here that uh, are have been drilled. Yeah. Casing set, cement circulated the surface. The plug is below our our uh, our target horizons. It they even have well heads on them. Yeah. Okay. We can re-enter those wells. We're talking about a very inexpensive proof of concept. We're talking about uh, you go in, uh, you check the competence of your pipe. If it's good, you go in. If it's not, you may have to squeeze. I doubt it, though. These wells are not that old. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, like I say, it was, it was uh, cement was circulated to surface. So probably got a good cement job. Uh, yeah. It was drilled with air. Yeah. And all you got to do is, is, uh, is perforate uh, swab, see what you got, and then uh, treat. All this stuff is going to have to be fracked. Uh, even the three million barrel well had to be fracked, right. and every one of those wells that never flowed that made that twenty-three million barrels of oil, every one of them had to be fracked. Right, and none of them flowed from the beginning. Okay, so so here we, and Mr. Operator, this is ground floor. You're not paying a dime over actual cost. Right. Any acreage acquisition cost, mm -hmm. any G and G, there is no G and G to you. Mm -hmm. There is no uh, uh, override yeah. above and beyond. So I mean, this is a it's a bird nest on the ground. It's a great looking deal. Uh, twenty to thirty thousand acres, right? Right. Yeah. Pretty much right yeah. away. Well, twenty to thirty thousand, depending. Mm -hmm. It depends on the appetite of the uh, operator. the uh, The seventy five percent working interest has a strong appetite. Uh, but they recognize the need for an operator. And, it, and I don't mean this anyway. It can't be just any old operator. We're going to need some operator that is, is, uh, is familiar with the, with the Wolf Camp and the Bone Spring. Right. Uh, and uh, that will be found uh, acceptable uh, to this rather large uh, oil company that we're going to need to get the, uh, yep. uh, the farm out from. And hmm. so... Uh, so we're we're ready to go. So we're looking for an operator. Yeah. It's what uh, there's an expression <clears throat> that comes from the long haul uh, truckers uh, in Texas. Uh, they roll up to a truck stop and and uh, run in there and be in a hurry like they always are and order a cup of coffee. It's hot as lava, so they pour it into the saucer and blow on it. Drink it right out of the saucer. And it's called uh, it's called saucered and blowed. So if you want something completely done, it's like, well, what? You want it all saucered and blowed? This is saucered and blowed. <laughs> <laughs> this is all saucered and blowed. It's ready uh -huh. to go. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about, uh, you know, the industry as a whole right now? We're, you know, we talked about recessions and comparing it to what you went through from your building uh, experience to being in Bolivia, you know, that whole thing sets you off. I, arguably, we, we could be going to something like that. Where do you see the future of energy? What, what are your thoughts, you know, in the next five to ten years uh, for, for energy industry? Oh, I look at even further than that. Uh, we're not getting rid of, uh, of oil anytime soon, as much as they'd like to. Uh, they seem to think that... Uh, 
you know, the, the automobile. Okay, we get we 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 convert from ice engines to uh, and go to, to EVs. That that's going to you know solve the world's problem. Well, I mean, I go off in a bunch of different directions here, but uh, one of them is we already have grid problems. Yeah. What about people coming home every night at five thirty or six and plugging in their EVs? What's going to happen then? We're having blackouts by people just turning on their air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> Coming home to watch the news. Okay, know. so I mean, you know, the other thing is, it's like, yes, that's right, clean electricity. All right, really, where's that electricity come from? You know, is it from hydroelectric? You know, uh, yeah. how many uh, rivers did you have to kill? Uh, uh, to, to get that. Is it from coal? Well, that's not exactly clean. Uh, is it from gas? That's cleaner. Yeah. You know, is it from electricity? Well, people over in Europe have found out, particularly in England, that when the wind stops blowing, that's not such a great deal. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. also uh, uh, found that the sun doesn't always shine. That's right. Well, how do you build, you know, it's one thing to produce that electricity, but how do you store it right if you don't have constant you know it gets nighttime every day i've found <laughs> you know <laughs> so anyway so there's some problems uh, there sure. that we've got to find uh, uh but the other thing is is that uh, troy um my god there was a magazine i wish i had it that at the front of the magazine and it showed uh, this family of four out in their backyard Two-story house, nice two-story house. And they had brought everything into the backyard that wasn't nailed down in that house that was made, made from hydrocarbons. Mm. It was the kids' toys. It was the lipstick. It was the medicine. That's uh, right. It was the appliances, that you know, the yeah. toasters and stuff. Everything right. was made. Uh, uh, your ice chest. No. I mean, every, we all know that That's in the right. oil business, but a lot of people don't realize what all is made from oil and gas. The yeah. other thing is, is that, uh, you know, you're talking about, talking about emerging, um, maybe we could fix something in the United States, you know? What about these emergency emerging countries, you know? They're driving mopeds and, and advancing into cars, and they're happy to have them. They don't have electricity. In fact, in South America, they went directly from uh, from no telephones to cell phones because they didn't have copper lines. Right. Okay. Uh, and so you're going to find a lot of of of, of uh, and China. What do they care? They're putting in new coal uh, powered generators as fast as we can uh, shut ours down. Yeah. And here's the thing: the transition most people think is some sort of light switch. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Mm-hmm. This is going to take decades. Are we going to transition? Yes. But I'm not worried about oil and gas uh, 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 going downhill for another uh, 30 years. Yeah. And uh, no, I, Yeah, I would say ever. I mean, we're a hydrocarbon species. It, it, they're going to look <laughs> back at us and wonder, and you know, historically and go, they burned that shit? <laughs> <laughs> Of all the things that can be made from hydrocarbons, yeah, uh, feedstocks for all oh, yeah. kinds of stuff, you know. It's, well, the uh, the battery technology you're talking about, the storage batteries, and in, in something, 
it appears to be possibly coming from something called graphene and graphene's a hydrocarbon it's a it's a type of carrageen essentially that's right yeah, we live and we rely on a high in a, in a high we live and rely on the biosphere which is hydrogen oxygens and carbons uh-huh. and the combination of hydrogens and carbons is the foundation of our energy it's like it's the foundation of what we do and what we are. And, and so how that's made is one problem. And understanding that, better understanding that, we can better understand how to use it and be more efficient. But to turn away from it, it doesn't make any sense to me logically uh, when, you, no. when you think about the biosphere as a whole. Uh, but what, what I'm finding out or what I'm starting to discover, I think, is that uh, electric vehicles makes more money, so the, the it's 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 a it's it's a better money maker. The ICE motor, the the internal combustion engine, has be, has gotten to a point that it's so efficient and it's it's so reliable that it's actually not great at making money. And we need to make money. And if we are in a recession. And we need to figure out better ways to make money. Then I think the EV car has a place in this, not because it's cleaner, not because it's better for the environment. You know, you can go and talk to people all day until you're blue in the face about where those metals come from and how you actually make that car. And where we're gonna get them from? <laughs> right. So it's not. It's it's just different, and it makes more money. Well, not only that, but uh, okay, we we talked about not a light switch. It's going to take decades. Uh, so, you know, shut down the pipeline. We don't do that. People on the East Coast are importing uh, natural gas liquids, yeah. NGLs, from other countries. Yeah. Okay? Because they won't let them build a pipeline uh, 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 from the Marcellus to the coast. How stupid is that? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we could be energy independent and working on these other things. But the other thing is... And why is it always Democrat versus Republican? Sure. You ever heard of an oil man that voted Democrat for, for Democrats? Oh, hell no. And, and also, the oil men put up a lot of money uh, into politics. Sure. They'd like to get rid of us. But have you also, have you ever heard of a guy that is uh, doing uh, windmills and, uh, and solar that voted Republican? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So there's a, I don't exactly understand all those dynamics, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, but that is the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, if, so if you want to get rid of your competition, uh, you know, and get rid of a, a big money source that's going into, uh, like the Koch brothers, for instance, they put fortunes into the, the Republican Party. Hmm. I don't want to get into politics, though. But sure. Godly, have we not heard enough about politics? Right. Uh, uh, for uh, quite some time, but so oil and gas. Um, well, energy, yeah, energy. Well, energy. It's funny you should say that because uh, you know, for twenty five years, the, the oil industry was in the. Uh, I went through it. Was in the the, the pits. You know, as I said, you know, when I, I sold my production uh, and got out of operations. Uh, because I had enjoyed about as much fifteen dollar oil and dollar fifty gas as I could stand, <laughs> you know. It's uh, is it going to continue to go up and down like that? Are we going to have an ebb and flow? 
I don't know why not. We always have had in this industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody's always doing something, uh, you know. uh, I feel like it's going to be strong for long. I feel like it's strong for long. I don't know what long means yet. I don't have an idea if it's 10 years, 15 years. But I don't see how we can we can rebuild the global economy that we have between communists and capitalism and all of, all the in betweens. It's it's built on the back of, of 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 human flourishing. It's built on the back of of building societies that have hospitals and schools and all the everything for people to live and to flourish. And they need energy. They got to have energy. Energy's in that. So we're. To rebuild from what's going on here, is, if it is a recession, how could it not be 80 plus dollar oil for a reasonably long time? I feel I feel confident about that, and, and I feel good about it. I think we're out of that uh, uh, that era. Uh, I don't I don't think we're approaching peak oil. I think you know, uh, let us let us explore. Yeah. We'll find more. There's yep. plenty left. Uh, we 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 sounded the death knell for the Permian Basin not that long ago, and now we're going to produce more oil than has ever been produced out of the Permian previously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, energy. Yeah, I had a guy tell me. He says, "Yeah, I'm in the energy business. This is back in the in the in the 80s and early okay. 90s. But he says, <laughs> oil, gas, coal." And firewood, you know, <laughs> whatever it takes to, <laughs> to make a living in this business. Yeah, Troy, I don't think we're going to have that problem anymore. I think, as you say, I, I feel good, and this is not a rah-rah cheerleading deal. I'm, no, I'm a stone cold uh, sober when it comes to this type of thing. I've been through it. Mm-hmm. I've been through uh, the first well I ever drilled. Okay, was in the, in the Fort Worth Basin. Came in two and a half million. Uh, cubic feet a day Jeez. from uh, 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 from 4,600 feet uh, out of the uh, Atoka D conglomerate. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, engineer uh, Lim Nations, a full-blooded Cherokee that had been retired from Halliburton and was now doing uh, engineering on the side, said, and he was it was right. He says, "You're luckier than a dog with two fill in the blanks." Okay. <laughs> And uh, and I agreed with him. I was just like, "Golly, this wow. is this is wonderful." Well, that was great. Except I had raised money to drill that first well for my investors, some of them friends of mine, when gas was three dollars and thirty cents a thousand. And this is in 1985. Okay, so what is that? That's better than ten dollar gas now, adjusted wow. for inflation. Wow. Okay. By the time I, I, uh, I got that well hooked up pipeline, the price had dropped to a dollar ten. Golly! Imagine any other people go, oh, these oil guys, you know, da da da. Man, we risk everything. We we yeah, nobody name another product that takes a two thirds hit in six months. Okay. Wow. How can you plan anything when you have a, a, a situation like? I had yeah. to gut that well to get my investors' money back. A good well too. I had to pull it hard, and I did. And uh, so I wasn't quite as lucky as he thought I was. It, it, it felt lucky at the time, but yeah. you know, finding it's not, not 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 all there is to it. But you've got to be smart. Uh, another old man I knew, uh, old time old man, said, 
Any dumb son of a bitch can make a million dollars in this business, but it takes a smart bastard to make a living at it. <laughs> I love that. And a million dollars back then was uh, you know, what he was talking about was from the 50s, you know. <laughs> right on, do it. Well, I enjoyed the heck out of this show. Thanks for me taking too. the time. Thanks for inviting me, Troy. I, uh, uh, I, I barely, uh, rarely get somebody to sit down and listen to me. Plus, I've got a, a, an entire audience out there. So uh, maybe we'll get a little notoriety, and maybe somebody's going to want to uh, join us in, uh, in getting uh, uh, some wells drilled out. That'd be awesome. That'd be a lot of fun. We can do a follow-up podcast with that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah.